0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 95. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And wait for me to scroll up to the top of the page so I can see that I say visit us at codingblocks.net.
1: We can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a lot more.
2: Rookie mistake. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at CodingBlocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, I am the different sounding Alan Underwood.
1: Froggy. (laughs) And uh, I'm Joe Zach.
0: And I'm Michael Outlaw. And I'm glad that I wasn't the only one caught off guard and had to scroll up really fast to the top of the page.
1: (laughs) Uh, Excellent. This show is sponsored by Datadog. Now, you've heard us tell you about Datadog before, so you know that they're a a software-as-a-service monitoring platform that provides developer and operation teams with a unified view of their
0: infrastructure, apps, and logs. But did you know about these features? Like Watchdog. Watchdog automatically detects performance problems in your application without any manual setup or configuration. By continuously examining application performance data, it identifies anomalies like a sudden spike in hit rate that could otherwise have remained invisible. Once an anomaly is detected, Watchdog provides you with all the relevant information you need to get to the root cause faster, such as stack traces, error messages, and related issues from the same time frame.
2: Or what about trace search and analytics? Trace Search and Analytics allows you to explore, graph, and correlate application performance data using high cardinality attributes. You can search and filter request traces using key business and application attributes such as user IDs, host names, product SKUs, so you can quickly pinpoint where performance issues are originating and who's being affected. Tight integration with data from logs and infrastructure metrics also lets you correlate the specific trace events to the performance of the underlying
0: infrastructure so you can resolve the problems quickly. And let's not forget about logging without limits. Logging without limits lets you cost-effectively process and archive all of your logs and decide on the fly which logs to index, visualize, and retain for analytics and Datadog. Now you can collect every single log produced by your application and infrastructure without having to decide ahead of time which logs will be the most valuable for monitoring analytics and troubleshooting. And Datadog is offering our listeners a 14 day free
1: trial with no credit card required. And as an added bonus for signing up and creating a dashboard, they will send you a Datadog t shirt. So go over to Datadog.com/slash/codingblocks to sign up today.
0: All right, and uh, like we we always per- like to do, it's time to say thank you to the people who left us a review. So, uh, from iTunes, we have Mr. Joe One, S.C. Weiss One, Akari Rai, and Jacob Castaglioni.
1: And huge thanks to Stitcher Reviews as well, which is, those are really nice, by the way, because you don't have to install iTunes. So, we appreciate those as well. as well. So, big thanks to Canon uh, and Weird Flex, but okay. <laughs> uh,
2: that's excellent. Um, nice job on reading those there, Outlaw. I, I was impressed with that. I studied. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, so, so Sean from our Slack group and also our community talks that we've done on occasion he had a nice little question that came up on Slack that I thought was worth hitting up here. And it's how do you get other people within a company to get on board with writing better code? And I want to get you guys thoughts or maybe, maybe I'll go first. My thoughts are you kind of have to create the excitement yourself a little bit, right? Like, being somebody that's listening to a podcast like this or being somebody that goes out and picks up books and you're constantly trying to get better and, and and perfect your art, like not everybody does that, right? Like not everybody is spending their off time trying to figure out how to get better. And that's why people that do try to constantly improve and get better at what they're doing. You kind of got to lead by example a little bit, right? And And I feel like if you start, if you start making motions in that direction, people will start seeing the benefits of it. And then you start, you start to get sort of a group buy-in on it, right? Like, oh, I see how easy that was. Like, I I think that's kind of how it has to go. And, And also try and make it like, hey, look, guys, check this out and create the excitement, right? Don't. If you try and force something down somebody's throat, then they're going to have a hard time, you know, taking it. But if you can, if you can try and create a little bit of excitement, like, yo, check out this pattern, right? And look at what it allowed me to do over here. Then I think that's how you go about doing it. That, that's, that's my two cents.
1: Yeah. And, uh, kind of along the su- same lines, I thought like, uh, lunch and learn is always a really great way of doing that sort of thing. Cause if you can kind of pitch the idea, like, hey, uh, you know, next Friday, let's get lunch catered in. If you can get somebody to sign on off on it. Otherwise, you know, just, you know, encourage people to bring their lunch or something and, uh, give them some meeting time there, put on the calendar and, uh, try to show something cool. Like, even if it's just something small, like, um, I guarantee you stuff like that tends to go way over. So even if you come up with like something that you think is going to take like 10 minutes to show, like some cool plug-in or some neat way or novel way you solved a problem and just kind of show that people will get excited and hopefully you can get them kind of to, uh, become invested in and want to share too. And as long as you, you know, show something kind of cool or novel and try to make it fun, I, I think that's, um the best advice I can really give. But I do want to mention that um a long time ago once I heard that um someone said, I was, I, I don't know if this is an official quote or if uh, the person I was talking to just made it up, but they said basically they can teach someone JavaScript or C Sharp or how to code, but they can't teach them to care. Mm. Right. And so ultimately if the reason that people are not getting <laughs> up with learning Better code is just because they don't care. Then I think you're fighting an uphill battle. But I think what you'll find is not necessarily that people don't want to write better code; it's just that it maybe competes with their other interests, or they disagree with you on what better code means, or, or you know, something like that. And so, if you can get those lunch and l- learns going, and you can get people involved and invested, then I think that's the way to go.
0: So um, I'm going to call a little bit of BS on both of your answers. But you said <laughs> a lot of words that were like things that like I liked. A, there were like keywords that you said that I liked. So I hit on those real quick. Like I like the lunch and learn idea. Uh, I like the lead by example idea. I think those are those kind of fit hand in hand, right? Like the lead by example is just you know showing them like, hey, I've created this and you know look how you can do this. But the reason why I say it's all BS though is until you can prove to them like, hey, this thing is going to make your life better, then their care, as you said it, their incentive is they, you know, they're not going to have any care or incentive about it until they can figure out like until you can express to them why this is going to make their lives easier, right? That's when they're going to be on board.
2: I agree with that. And that's why I think the the example, even the Lunch and Learns, I like them. But I've, I've found in the past that a lot of people will tune out if it's not something they're hyper-interested in. Right. You know? Yep. I but, totally agree. But... I will say that uh, I, there's even been times that I've done talks like uh, when we did domain-driven design, uh, you guys remember we talked about the specification pattern mm-hmm. and it was something that I really liked a lot because it was, how do you, how do you validate things where there, you have two separate pieces of data coming in that don't live in the same class, right? Like you've got user authentication or user authorization, and then you have, you know, orders. Um, how do you, how do you validate that stuff? And I'll never forget. Like I I put together an entire presentation on it. I talked about it and literally everybody was like, Oh, cool. Okay. And, and, and it was gone. But what was awesome was I want to say it was several months later. Some changes needed to be added. Some additions needed to be added to that one section of code where I use a specification pattern. And the way that things had typically been done, it was really ugly. They would have been changing client side code. They would have been changing server side code all the way through. Right. And it would have been done in a very one-off way. Well, because I had that pattern in place. So I was like, look, dude, just do this right here. And he was like, oh man, that was so easy. Like he he thought it was going to take him four to five hours to do what he was going to do. He got it done in 10 minutes because after he understood the pattern, then it was like, hey, it's there. And that automatically got buy-in, right? Like at that point, they're like, I get it. I totally get why you'd use this now because I can centralize my my business logic and my validation in one place, right? So yeah, I, th- I think if you can create the excitement, it's going to be hard to sell it without showing them, you know, hey, check this out. This is what we can do now, right?
1: So, yeah, I don't know if I've written C Sharp since then. <laughs> 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 oh man that's sad it's been a while
2: so yeah that, i thought that was a great question hopefully you know maybe maybe you can take that back and share it and and i do think that just you know showing some people and getting people excited about it is probably the key um, oh
1: yeah one one thing I want to mention, too, is like uh, you kind of got to know your audience, too, a little bit. So if the reason that people are maybe having a hard time rem- or maybe not kind of moving it, maybe in the direction that you want them to is because they just care about different things. So they may not get excited about, say, like a Docker type or a, a, um, a Kubernetes talk because to them that's kind of like, you know, newfangled com- complexity they don't need. So they may be more interested in something like how uh, garbage collection works. So maybe you can kind of, you know, stoke that fire a little bit, get those those embers Kindled or whatever, get that fire started by kind of speaking to those desires rather than maybe what you think is cool, which it stinks. Like ultimately, like everything we talked about, it kind of involves like work on your part, which you know kind of stinks. Like, yeah, enough work to do, right? But hopefully, it pays off. That is so true. So and basically,
0: think, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were no, that. go, go ahead. Yeah, so basically in a nutshell here, not only do you have to be like a you know, a good developer, but you also have to become a good motivational speaker <laughs> and a good salesman. So, yeah. And you have to put in the extra work, right?
2: And that's the thing that really stinks is usually you've already got enough work to do, but if you want to see change, you got to be willing to try and put forth the effort to make that change start happening. So, oh uh, yeah, that stinks. It, it really does. Um Hey, and so the next thing, uh, BMO over on Slack, who is also the infra, the infra dev, um, really cool site. It, what, do you remember the URL, Joe? Off the top uh, no. Is it infra? I will, we'll get that here in a second, but he pointed out, and, and I always do this when we're talking about SSD, um, performance, because everything's measured in megabits per second. Like when you talk about internet speeds and all that, I always forget about when you're going over to drives, it's actually megabytes per second. So the order of speed of those SSDs that we were talking about that um, we're doing on episode 93 of the Shopping Spree, it it was actually megabytes per second, which when you start thinking about that is insane. So it's like 3.5 gigabyte per second reads on some of those drives. Oh, man. Anyways.
0: You know, I forgot since you brought up that episode too, uh, you know, there's kind of like a little elephant in the room since we've had that that conversation because you know we recorded that prior to apple's announcement and my big plan was i was going to take you know four or five hundred dollars put it in some bitcoin and hope that by the time apple did have the announcement that it would have like you know obviously would you know quintuple or triple or you know whatever uh quadruple uh so that i could i could get an ipad (laughs) Oh, Apple. <laughs> that didn't work out so well, did oh it? Oh my god, Apple. Have the the highest in iPad. iPad is like $1900. So, yeah, no way is my Bitcoin going to even get me close to that because obviously it's not that market is a uh, apparently not going that route so far.
2: Yeah, and on top of that, you still need the keyboard and the and the pen, right? So or pencil. Well, only if you so, wanted to use
0: it like a like a, a computer Surface Book, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's it's now a computer replacement, whatever. Yeah, um, there's rumors. There was talk of like what life would be like with a 15 inch iPad. Never, yeah, mind. 15 inch. About- <laughs> hey,
2: I will say it's pretty cool though. They're saying that you can use the iPad as a monitor for the iPad Mini. So that's kinda interesting. So, Wait, for the iPad you know, mini? For the iPad or not iPad mini. You mean mini, the Mac the, Mini? Uh Mac Mini. I'm sorry. Yes.
1: So Yeah, it's so like two thousand dollar fifteen inch monitor.
0: That's <laughs> sweet. What no? It's it's more like a thirteen inch. Yeah, 15-inch. it's a thirteen inch. Yeah.
1: That's right. Oh. Yeah, fifteen I would be upset about fifteen inch. Like it seems like most laptops aren't even fifteen inches anymore. Unless yeah. You apples.
2: These thirteen inch laptops, they can go away. Which there's oh.
0: another elephant in the room. Because <laughs> a lot of elephants in this room. There are. It's it's well. It's a zoo. Um, because <laughs> you know we've been recording this epi- this show now for like five years, and we all have Max. We all love our Max. But you know, there's a lot of episodes from five years ago where we like loved them more, and the stuff yeah. that was being made we loved more. And you know, we I think have been pretty consistent. Like, yeah, I don't think I like that touch bar. You know, I'm not, I'm not sold on that one. I think the three of us have been kind of consistent in that. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh,
1: yeah. We're pretty consistent. But,
0: you know, every, we get people who are always listening to the back catalog and they are like, man, how can you guys recommend a MacBook? And I'm like, well, uh, well, we're not saying we would do it today. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally. I I I would have a hard time recommending a new one with the butterfly keys and nah, get get out of here. I give me give me some real hardware.
0: Although, of course, I say that and now. I just remembered though that that was like what Joe started with. With like, wasn't that, <laughs> that how your your like a couple episodes ago with the shopping spree thing? Didn't you start with like, well, if I was just going to buy everything yeah. in one shot, I'd just get the MacBook.
1: I think, uh, you know, I don't remember. That might have been past year, but I I still want one now. (laughs) That's the sad part. It's just I want those two things to change. So I still think if I was to get a laptop and budget were not a concern, like I still would be going for the MacBook Pro. It's just I really don't like those two things about it. I don't
2: think I would. For the same price, I'd probably get the Surface Book too, I think. But the problem is they haven't updated the processors, which is why it's not on my list.
0: So maybe the elephant is halfway in the room.
2: It's halfway in the room. And by the way, the website uh, for BMO on Slack, it's TheInfraDev.Pro. So TheInfraDev, I-N-F-R-A, Dev.Pro. Pretty cool stuff. So and, uh, you, go ahead. No, go, finish your thought. I was going to say, he's also on Twitter at TheInfraDev. So you, go check him out.
0: And I'm telling you, you got to love the confidence there with the .Pro. Like that's just, that's putting it out there. He's not, he's not consumer grade. He's not amateur grade. This is .Pro level stuff. That's so right. I love it. are
2: we gonna are we gonna buy the dot mediocre uh top level <laughs> domain?
0: Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> <laughs> Not, no, we should get dot me. .meh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Coding>. <laughs> meh. Uh, that's amazing. So that's that's it for the for the news
1: that we have here. Um Yeah, and so this episode uh we're gonna be talking about some basic data structures. Remember last time we talked about uh some primitives and we were kind of leading up to talking about data structures. And uh here we are, we have arrived. Yeah, and so
2: you're gonna think that this show's not gonna
1: be all that interesting because I
2: know data structures. And and we all thought we knew data structures until we had pages of notes for every little thing that we were looking at, right? So I,
0: I thought I knew floats. <laughs> so yeah, I can't wait to see where this stuff is going. Oh man.
2: So we're going to kick this off and I landed with arrays and I'm actually going to do something a little bit different. We'll get into here in a second. So first, what is it? What is an array? It's simply like just summarizing. It's a way to store a collection of items. That's in a nutshell. That's it. Now, some people are probably gonna go crazy right now and they're going to be like, no, it's not just items. They have to be same type items, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, now the interesting curve I took on this is I wanted to get to the heart of where arrays came from and how they're used in various different languages. And I thought the best way to do that would be go back to C, right? Because it's probably the lowest level one that you can work with on a a daily basis, unless you're getting down into a different type of programming. And so I thought I'd start there. So the first thing to know is an array in C, it, yeah, it's a collection of things, but it's stored in a contiguous block of memory. So if you have a 20 item array, then it's going to start at a memory location. And then all the rest of the data in that array is in the very next register of memory all the way down until until you're out of, of that array room. So,
0: Which is why they're able to be fast
2: that's why they're able to be fast because typically you're, you're iterating through the, and it's called pointer arithmetic, but as you're going through the thing, it's basically pointing to the next block of memory where the next item is. And as you go through it, you're just going to the next memory location, which is right next to where the other one was. So super fast to iterate through them.
1: It's also really good for random access. So if you need to go to the 14th element, we know that it's basically the size of, you know, the, the items that are in your element times, 14 right starting with the uh the original
0: index in memory yep and another thing i was going to add to that though is because it's just the uh that pointer arithmetic that you referred to and as joe put it like you know f- 14 times the size of it it's a o of one operation yes. for random lookups
2: all the access is is a constant time it's it's right there so here's the thing. So that all sounds great, right? Like you have this thing, it's super fast. It's all in one block of memory, but here's the thing that kind of stinks about it is you either have to declare this thing with a type and a size, or you have to initialize it with the elements that you want at the time that you define this thing. So if you decide that you want to create an array that's going to have a hundred elements in it, then you can, you can do that thing up with int my array and then you know brackets one hundred, and you have this nice brand new array with a hundred memory slots in it, and it already allocated the memory for you, starting wherever it was going to start, and then saving the space for those hundred elements, knowing the size of an integer, right?
1: <clears throat> so that's great. Go ahead. I was just thinking. Like, you ever have programs like in like um like assignments like computer science one hundred one and like. Let the user enter a number and then press enter and then keep entering until they enter some number of numbers and then they add them all up and tell them the sum. And like, I remember doing stuff like, okay, uh, well, a race is fixed size, so I'll do a hundred because no well, there's no way anybody's going to type a hundred here. I would just kind of pick a number because I didn't know any other good way of doing it. Uh, realistically, the whole point of the assignment was probably to teach me that that's not a smart thing to do and to really talk about, uh, you know, be- better ways to do that. But I just thought it was kind of funny. I remember doing stuff like that, just picking max sizes because I don't really know how much I needed, but probably not a hundred.
2: Right. Right. Nobody's going to enter a hundred numbers. <laughs>
0: How much RAM have you got? Let me just take all of it available from my array.
2: Right. And so so the other way that you could do this is you can say int my array and just do the open and close square brackets there, and then you can initialize it with a list, right? So equals open curly 1, comma 2, comma 3, comma 4, et cetera, right? And then that will basically create your array, populate it with the size that you need in memory, and you're good. You can also in C, you can mix the two and you can say int my array and then bracket 10 equal and then do an initializer and you could just put three elements in it. And so basically you'd have items in there for one, two, and three, and then your other seven would not be defined at that point in time, um, or they wouldn't have been filled in with whatever you wanted, but your size of the memory block would still be, you know, 10 integers. So that's all pretty interesting. Um the next thing that I thought was really cool and I'm not used to because it's been so long since I've done a low level programming like this, is there's no indexing, index checking in C. So in in C sharp, if you say, Hey, I'm creating an array of size ten and then you go to reference index eleven, it's gonna throw an out of bounds
1: error. Oh yeah, right? that's a mild friend, yes.
2: You'll see it, and and it happens to all of us because we'll forget, oh, it's zero index base. I forgot to do less than this, minus one, or something, right? So you'll get those things. You'll get it in C. What do you get in C? Garbage. You'll get something that was stored in that memory register, but it's going to have no legitimate meaning towards what you were trying to use that array for.
1: So you got to be careful. The bugging stinks. It's like error. (laughs) What? It's like yeah. is not an int or, or whatever. There is. <laughs> yeah. like, well yeah, I know. I but why that. is it not?
2: Yeah. So yeah, I get
1: frustrated enough with the array index out of bounds. Like, that's why why we why did you do that? <laughs> stupid computer, you're broken.
2: Oh, uh, that's awesome. Oh um, so yeah, that I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I guess I've gotten so spoiled by at least those good errors and you know the newer languages that that didn't even occur to me that that's how things work back are still in that language and c is not a dead language right like people still write uh performant applications in c or cross compatible applications in c i mean WebAssembly is written in c so you know interesting things there
1: I still and consider- that's a big security hole too, right? Because if you end up going out of bounds and you're going to read memory that you shouldn't have been able to read, and theoretically, uh, if you can change stuff in the way you can write to memory that you shouldn't have been able to write to.
2: Yep, that's true. And here's another one that's kind of interesting. It also won't blow up if you initialize it with more data than what was in the defined size. So if you mix those two where you're saying, hey, I want something size 10, but then you can put 20 in it, it just – it. it it's going to be fine. It's just going to keep going. It's not going to store that stuff where you wanted it to, but it's not going to yell at you either. Uh, C, C++, C Sharp, Java, all those, they will yell at you at compile time, right? That, hey, you did something really stupid. Go back and fix this. So um, this this was something that was interesting. I actually spent a lot of time reading this because it's been a while since I've worked with pointers. So in languages like C, people get confused between an array and a pointer. And it, here's what they had to say about it. It's true that the array starts at a spot in memory and then contain the contiguous memory space, right? But it's not the same thing as having a pointer that's the first memory location. And the way that they, the way that you can validate this, like if you don't believe it, right? Like because you can output array or you can output, you know, the, the memory location there and you'll get that value out of it, but you can do a size of either the pointer or the array. And you'll see that they are actually two different things. Assuming, assuming that your pointer and your array are not just one, right. But, or of size one, but you'll actually see that there's a difference there.
1: That's a good oh. point. I was uh, thinking in, like JavaScript, for example, there's a dot length property. So you can call on an array and like, there's nothing special about this kind of low-level data structure we're talking about that has a magical dot length property. So there's something that's special about that type.
2: Yep, uh, it, JavaScript's a whole other ball of wax that we're going to get to after we get get away from this uh, this granddaddy of programming. <laughs> um,
0: but you said so, granddaddy, like I know you mean it from a good place, but I still consider like C is like the it's still like the 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 backbone of, of, of everything. Like, you want something fast, you just you do it in C, it's still like Linux is in C, Mm -hmm. right? Like that, that's what you're going to use. I was actually thinking about this the other day too, is that you ever wonder why, like how we keep going back to C for things like operating systems, for example, or games or like things that we need fast, like Python is written down into C. Like, is it, is it because like all of the classes and inheritance and everything, like it adds too much, slowness on top of it that I mean, yeah,
2: I don't know. I don't think that's what it is. Um And I know where you're going. I don't think it has anything to do with the object inheritance. I think it has to do with the fact that you actually, uh, and I'll get into it in a little bit here more in depth, but like for an array, there's this thing called dynamic, um dynamic creation of an array and basically all that means is you're actually telling it, you're calling an, uh, memalloc, I think is what it is. Malik. Memory allocate. Yeah. Malloc, memory allocate this for me. You have access to the underlying memory, right? And, and you don't necessarily have that in these other languages. So like Joe said, you can shoot yourself in the foot and you have all these security holes when you can access these memory locations that, that you weren't supposed to have access to but the fact that you've got access to that low level stuff like i think that's why yc why is more close to the metal right that's why you get that speed whereas you know something that's like c sharp but c plus plus is probably closer to c in terms of raw speed because i think you can do similar things but but i think that's what it is i may be wrong i don't know that it has anything to do with inheritance or anything as much as it's just they give you Basically, here's everything. (laughs) Go do what you want and try not to screw it up, right?
0: Fast portable stuff is still in C. It is. So, yeah.
1: If you were to graph, like, popularity and uh, age for programming languages, I think C is at the peak of that. Like, Algol is older, but it's not as popular. Like yeah. C is like a far outlier liar there, and C plus plus is close too. I think, but um, yeah, I mean C and C plus plus are still like really hanging in there for as old as they are. Like when did when do you think C wasn't invented?
2: Oh golly, I don't seventy something maybe, or was it further back than that? C plus plus was eighties.
0: I thought yeah, C++, C plus was this in was the pre late Star 90s. Wars.
2: seventy two, you said? Yep. Okay.
0: I mean, you're you're talking about these like though in terms of their popularity though. But I'm looking at the the Tybee index for them. C and C are number two and number three. That's crazy. And popularity, what's one? Java. Java. Wow. So I mean, like, I'm kind of coming to the defense of C when we say when you say a grandfather, because I'm like, well, I mean. Yeah, it might be the ones like, get off my lawn, kid. Like, you know, but it's still awesome, though. It reminds me of like an old Far Side where there's like two guys walking by. One's wearing a Mac t-shirt and the other one's wearing a uh, Windows t-shirt. And then there's this other bearded guy who's walking by and he has like a Unix shirt on and he flips a quarter to them and he's like, "Here, here's a quarter, kid, get a real operating system. And that's the way like C (laughs) feels compared to like other languages. Like, yeah, I got to imagine like current C developers are just laughing and they're like oh my god you guys
2: yeah no no i mean in in all reality when i say the granddaddy, it is cuz it's the oldest but it's also you, you remember you know that time that you realize that grandpa's really strong <laughs> i don't i don't know how that happened so <laughs> you know it, it's that it could be that analogy as well um so Here's one of the reasons why the confusion happens between the arrays and the pointers is because when you pass an array as an argument, you're passing a pointer. You you it's not like in C sharp or something where you pass by reference the actual object. It doesn't happen like that. Um and then you're accessing those those values in there using the pointer arithmetic, which is nothing more than a particular syntax that you're doing.
0: Now wait a minute. Uh, reference is a pointer. Uh so in C sharp. For example, you are passing the pointer. You just don't have access to the pointer. You're like, you don't, it's not copying an array to pass it off to another function. It is passing the pointer. That's what the reference is. Pass by reference or pass by value.
2: But you're not using special, um, syntax to get right. to those values. In There's the
0: no other alternative is, is right. the, is the, the difference there. Whereas right. in, in C, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. In C, you're actually having to do pointer syntax to get to the items in that array once you get it in. Whereas in C sharp, you pass in my array and then on the other side, whatever that parameter name was, you say in my array, you know, bracket one, give me the first value in it or second in that, in that regard, um, off by one. Uh, so, so this was another interesting thing. C arrays can contain anything except void or functions thought that was kind of interesting. Never really thought about it, but.
1: Yeah, the, um, the, the, yeah, it's really weird. Like you could have a, f- I, I don't know. I was just saying, like, can you have a function that returns either void or null, but I mean void or int and, and no, it either re- returns one or the other, right? Yeah. Well,
2: you don't return void, right?
1: Yeah. But that's like the, that's the absence of returning a value. Right. Right.
2: So. So yeah, I I'd never really thought about it, but apparently you can't do crazy stuff like just pass functions around or anything like that like you can do in, in a lot of languages nowadays. Um can You pass can, a
1: pointer to a function? Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, yeah, you can you could totally do that. I mean, yeah, that's what not, you right? did with arrays, right? I mean, basically.
1: So, I, I should learn C.
2: <laughs> I want it, to back It's to funny. I actually ended up while I was doing all this, I was on uh it's ide.geekforgeeks.com and it's basically just similar to our .net fiddle stuff that we've done in the past where you can go in there and there's there's other fiddles uh they have they have like an ide up there that you can do c sharp c++ c java all kinds of things and so i was definitely in there tinkering around with these things trying to make sure that i wasn't screwing up anything that i was about to tell you guys um
0: so I want to go back here, to C because we could just compile it down. We could still keep our day job, still you know write web applications, but just compile it down to like WebAssembly, but write it in C. Yeah, like, how I'm awesome not would that really be? Down with that. Yeah, what? That. <laughs> Come that on, Alan. Yeah, I don't want to do that. You don't want to use structs for everything. Like, forget all these classes, man. Forget all that nonsense. Well, well hey, how do you, you import modules? Pure enums. <laughs> I don't write even a, remember. You just do an include. Pound include, baby. Is it like C install? No, way. that's chocolatey.
1: (laughs) No chocolatey. (laughs) Uh, So, check this out. This, This
2: was something that I thought was interesting. So, arrays can be initiated in any of three memory segments. The data segment, the heap, and the stack. I don't think I'd ever heard of the data segment, and I didn't dig into it that much. But those are there. Now... This is what I thought was pretty cool. So if we talk about C sharp, actually I have a question further. Let's go ahead and ask that. Where where do I have it? Did I have a pop quiz somewhere? I could have sworn I did. Okay. Where, where do C sharp arrays go?
1: Uh, C sharp arrays. Let's say
2: an array of integers. Let's say an array of integers. Where would that go?
1: It goes in the heap. Hello. I say I that as say, if I know. I mean,
0: it's been a long time. I'm going to say it depends on how you initialized it, right? Because if you initialized it where you were able to pre at compile time, time able to allocate the size, then that's going to happen on the stack. So, like in your example where you said like int my array bracket ten. Right. Mm -hmm. Or where you like gave it, or your example where you didn't say bracket, you just said bracket, empty bracket, but you like initialize it to a specific size. In that case, at compile time, it knows the size, it can go on the stack. Otherwise, you're going to get a pointer that'll point that would eventually point to some location on the heap.
2: So that's what I thought. Joe's actually correct. Oh, really? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "Man, if it's using value types and it's an array of value types, surely it's just in the stack, right?" Because there's it's no n- boxing, right? There's none. It it goes straight to the heap, and you get a pointer to the heap every period. time. Okay, every time. Yep, C sharp. I failed. So, I mean, admittedly, I did too. Like, I just I, I kind of made that assumption. And so when I was reading this about C, here's the interesting thing: it depends on where you where you create it, right? Like, if you're creating an integer array of size 10 or whatever inside of function it's going on the stack in c by default which is kind of interesting to me i just kind of assumed that carried over into c sharp um, what doesn't go on the stack is if you dynamically allocate that thing using malloc right it will then allocate a chunk of space on the heap using however much you said you needed, which, by the way, you actually have to tell it. When you call Malik, you're basically saying, uh, what's the size of an integer times 100? Because I want 100 of these things, right? Allocate that space. Yeah, and that's your array, and that's your space. And that's why, again, C is so much faster, because you're actually telling it almost at the hardware level, yo, I need this memory chunk right here. Give it to me.
1: That's silly, though, right? It's like yeah, hey, you allocate a bunch of memory. It's like you know, here's an arbitrary number. You know, well, it's not arbitrary, but here's a number I derived. All- that much, and I'm just going to use it like an array. And you're just going to do it. See, you're going to do right. it, computer, because I told you to.
2: That's right. I mean, it's it's complete control, right? With with ultimate power comes ultimate responsibility. So so yeah, it's different than the way it works in C Sharp, which I thought was really interesting. Um, static and global arrays get allocated to the data segment which again i'm not that familiar with it i'm sure there's people that are listening that know way more about this than i do but that that was kind of cool to me is just knowing that there's three ways that those things happen just basically basically either the type or how it's being declared um and already said the local arrays get put on the stack all right so we started with ultimately probably the lowest level one that i would feel comfortable talking about because I'm not ever going to talk about assembly. Cause I don't care. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that was kind of the heavy hitter. So now I thought it'd be interesting to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum, which is JavaScript, right? Which is where there are no rules to anything. It's just a big open playground. You do what you want. So I think, I think Joe Zach actually put this comment in here. Cause I kind of built on some of the notes he had, Things are loosely enforced at best. And you'll find out as we get into this a little bit that that is incredibly true. So, in C, JavaScript, JavaScript. everything is loose. Yeah, everything is loose, right? And this is where the TypeScript lovers are going to come in and be like, not if you use this. Right. So you can do something like this in JavaScript. If you're using ECMAScript 2015 or above, you can say, let my array equal new array. And that'll create an array and a new space capital A array with open close paren. That'll actually create you a new array. You can also do the same thing much easier with just let my array equal open and close square braces. And that will do the same thing for you. That's what I know all the time. The, it's the easiest. It's the prettiest. It's the most concise. It's what you'll see in just about every library on the planet. If you ever dig into the source code.
0: Well, if you do the other, the previous option, new array. Some IDEs will actually like give you a little squiggle and be like, no, 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 no. Just do empty brackets, man. <laughs> Don't be silly. <laughs> like it'll seriously right? be a, a suggestion. That's that's ridiculous. But on your like, everyone's going to make
1: fun of you to do this.
2: Yeah, right. really will. Yeah, don't do it the way that I said it first. Um and then you can also initialize the array. So you can say let my array equal uh square brackets 1 comma 2 comma 3 comma 4, right? And then that that will create your array with the size of the elements that you put in there. All right. So now here's some of the interesting things about it, right? We talked about C and the way you do it is you say int my array and then you put 10 in brackets. That's, that's the size of 10. And in JavaScript, you don't define the type or the length. There, there is no. Did we say in C that everything has to be of the same type? I don't remember that I actually called that out. So um, if you have yeah, an integer about array. about
1: like an arrays, but you actually declare when you de- like declare the array normally that this is like a car array or char- right. character array. This is an integer array. And that's because in order for that ind- that uh, math to add up, it all needs to be the same size, which means that if it's a value type like a uh, int. Those need to all be the size of ints. And if it's a pointer, then it needs to all be the size of pointers or whatever. Exactly.
2: And it doesn't matter that you could have types that would be the same size like a car and a truck, those might be the same size in terms of memory space, but you still can't do it. You have an array of type car or you have an array of type truck. You can't mix the two within the array.
1: Now,
0: to make things really confusing. You could probably show it in there. (laughs) You could. That's not recommended. Well, I was going to say to make things really confusing, though, technically what you're saying is 100% accurate. The array, the size of the array would have to be, like as you said, of all the same thing. But that's not to say that the things that are in there have to all be the same type. Which sounds really weird. But what I mean by that is, and Joe kind of hinted on this, is that using if everything, if your array was just pointers, then the array is based on size of a pointer. But the things that those pointers point to could be different.
2: But if you do that, you're probably going to get runtime errors, right? Like it's
0: Well, you're definitely setting yourself up for you need to be careful.
2: Yeah, right? it's it's not what you want to do, but if you are <laughs> but you could, yeah. So arrays are supposed to be a single type in C. In JavaScript, doesn't matter. You don't have a type. You can put whatever you want in that array. <laughs> <To> anything, <laughs> like any, yeah. Null, undefined, um, a class or a prototypical class or a string or a number, a whatever.
1: Yeah, you know it's funny. Like, see, so said the example of declaring with like um, you know, like var array. Equals one two three four, but what happens if you do uh, array uh, equals brackets one two three negative one? Works fine. Does it? I'm trying that right now. No,
2: it totally does. Yeah, you. What what Mike said, just kind of joking a second ago, is you can have functions to it. You oh. can absolutely create an array of nothing but functions. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it was a bad example. Sorry.
0: You could even um, do like you know var my array br- empty equals empty brackets and then my array dot push one my array dot push hello world
1: yeah yeah so yeah bad example on my part it's not what I meant to say uh, what I meant to say is like yeah you can do like you know bracket one two three comma the string the state of california or coding blocks or whatever like, it'll do it but what also you can do is you can do array at index zero equals this. You can do array at index fourteen equals this. You could do array at negative three equals this.
2: Yeah, so we're gonna get into some of those edge cases. Don't steal. Don't steal what I'm gonna do here
0: in a minute. All right. I didn't um, want to like. Well, okay. Go ahead. Because well, because there was like one interesting thing, kind of about the 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 date the memory parts. Because I think I th- I thought we had kind of hit on this one time before about like the different areas of the memory but i'll i'll include a an a wikipedia article cuz there's there are the different sections of stack the heap the data and the text portions of the memory. Because why haven't we talked about that before?
2: I don't recall. I didn't remember the data one. Uh, and stack and heap are very familiar but that's the, the one, one yeah,
0: that's the one everyone talks about, right?
2: Yeah. So um so th- here's something interesting about the array. In JavaScript, technically, it's nothing more than a special object behind the scenes that uses numerical keys for sorting purposes. That's all it is. It's actually an object. And you can prove this if you do a type of, and then you just do an empty array. It'll come back and tell you object. Like, not If you remember those
1: primitives, there's only seven types that are built in. And so, object is one of them. <laughs> yep. And so... One of the other things that happens because it
2: is an object, they're always copied by reference. So if you're doing something with an array and you're passing around to functions or, or you go to change something, you thought that, you know, Hey, var my array equals one, two, three, four, five. But then you say, Hey, my array two equals my array one. It didn't make a copy of it. You have a reference to that original one. So anything you change in that's going to be changed in both variables. Right? So that's important to know. If now this is where things get kind of interesting and you just kind of have to know these things or know to go look for these things. If you're using the array without breaking the rules and we'll get into those in a minute, there are some built in optimizations like storing data in contiguous memory spaces. So I want to caveat this by the articles that I was reading that I read for getting some of this information. They didn't talk about the underlying engines that that they were Using when making these statements, right? Uh, I think we mentioned it before. There's the Google V8 engine, IE had its own engines. The newest versions of Edge has its own. Mozilla probably uses their own. Like there's lots of JavaScript engines out there. So there might be some assumptions baked in here in what some of these statements are. Um, So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, some of this. But it does try and do something similar to what C does to where if you just if you put things in sequentially, it's going to try and allocate a memory block so that it can quickly get to those things. And you're going to get those optimizations by using that. So what's it mean to break the rules? If you go in there and manually set a property on array using dot notation, then you broke the rule. So if you set up your new array, my array equals one, two, three, four, five. And then now you say my array dot first name equal allen. You just converted that thing to an object. It's going to trash all its array optimizations because they go out the window. It's no longer a sequenced set of data. You've now turned it into an object. So you broke the rule.
1: Yeah, I've read that um, the JavaScript engines, uh, at least the couple that I looked at, will actually change the type underneath. So it's like it starts out as array. As soon as you break the rules, it's like, all right, well, it's not an array anymore. You don't get that.
2: Yep, it's gone. It trashes it. Uh, another one, and I think Joe's mentioned this on previous episodes when we were talking about something, if you leave a major gap in between indices, so if you have an array and you set the first 10 items, but then you decide that, hey, I just want to set item 1000 and you didn't have anything in between, it's no longer sequenced properly because it's not going to allocate that much memory with a bunch of empty items in between. And so you now lose that sequencing
1: optimization on that as well.
0: Well, that's the example that Joe just said too,
1: though, right? Yeah, same kind of thing where it's uh, it's basically as soon as it, it, it starts out like trying to do like a dense array, which is kind of like the standard. Like, keep it on, you know, it'll allocate some amount of uh, space, and then if you exceed that space, it'll grow. But it tries to treat it like a normal array with continuous memory. But if you start cheating, you do the like the dot notation. All of a sudden, it's like, all right, fine, you get some other data structure. You're no longer an array. Sucks to be you. And I well, think they do the same thing like you're, you're mentioning there where I read about dense arrays and sparse arrays, which are basically yes. same kind of deal where it's like, it starts out doing the dense thing. If you start doing wacky stuff like putting indexes way far away, it's like, oh, well, you exceeded the bounds of the little array that I hear that I allocated for you. And, uh, there's nothing in between. So you, you're not an array anymore. You're, you're goofy.
2: Yeah. So the difference though, Mike, in what he was saying originally, uh, versus what I was mentioning is you create your array with 10, with 10 things in there. You don't dot notate the the thousandth. You actually say my array bracket 1000 right. equals something else. Even though you kept in the world of arrays, you created too much of a memory gap. And so now it's no longer, they're going to be like, ah, we can't, we can't treat this like an array anymore.
0: Well, I, I guess where I was referring to, there was the example that Joe gave where he said like my array equals empty bracket, my, my array bracket one equals one, my array bracket 14 equals negative one right? Like, like what's too much, too many, don't too much gap. Right. So, I (laughs) I mean, I realized an example that he said it was only like one to 14, but that's where I was thinking like, yeah know,
1: I read a little bit about it. Um, and what I suspect happens is like, um, when they first kind of, uh, a lot of times a lot of languages like C sharp or higher level languages, when you declare an array and you don't give a fixed size or like a C sharp, like the list, um, objects it'll go ahead and say all right fine we don't know the size let's just pick one 1000 you get an array of size 1000 and then if you use more than that it'll say okay fine let's go ahead and copy that array to a new array with size 2000 if you exceed that it'll go ahead and and uh do that just to keep a new doubling array size down 4000 and every time it does that it doesn't change the size of the original array it has to create a new one then deallocate the old and that's kind of a trick that um some of the languages use it to have really fast speeds like we have in uh, arrays, but not force you to pick a size up front. So that's a little trick that they use there. But I think in JavaScript, my suspicion is that they'll pick a size, say 1000. And if you exceed the size of that initial array with like not with a big gap with a big right. gap, I don't know what the number is for the g- big gap. Just like you said, then I'll say, well, you know what? It's not, I don't want to allocate all this giant memory again. Then.
0: Okay, so 14 is probably, like, 1 to 14 is probably not big enough is what we're saying. Right. right, yeah, definitely. Don't know what the number is. I actually didn't see that. I looked for it in a few
2: places, and, and I mean, without digging into the source code of, like, the V8 engine, I, I didn't yeah. I didn't find anything.
1: Oh, yeah, you know, I guess a funny way to do it would be, like, you know, if you, exceed, if you exceed the size of the array that I would be growing to, then you're not an array anymore. Sorry, you lost your array privileges. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not growing this thing like four times just to fit your stupid thing in there.
2: Well, without having data every step along the way, right? And, and that's the key part because you can have you could have a million item array if you wanted, and as long as it was sequentially added there, then you should still get the benefits of it being uh, you know a uh, uh, dense array.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's like so if you your original array starts out at size one thousand, and then you say uh, let me go ahead and set an item index two thousand and one, it's like mm. you know what growing this thing once isn't big enough, which means that right. over half of this thing is empty. I right. know that just by simple math. So I know over half of your array is empty without having to do any further analysis. Like You don't get an array anymore. And yep. by the way, compilers, uh, they're perspicuity. They take pride in shutting you down like this. So if, if you <laughs> give them any opportunity to shut you down on something like this and take away your array privileges, they will take it.
2: That's awesome. So the next better to th- do. Yeah, well, (laughs) you got to do something. Um, The next one is kind of interesting. If you reverse add items to an array, that will also cause it not to be treated like a regular array. So if you have 100 items and you start at index 100 and add them, you know, reverse order, it doesn't like that. Um, Just keep adding them in order and you'll be fine. Uh, So, here's something that's kind of interesting. So push and pop are array functions, right? Uh, they, they work very fast. When you push something to an array, it gets added onto the end of it. When you pop it, it takes it off the end, right? Shift and unshift are extremely costly. So, if you're ever doing anything with those and you think it's a good idea to take things off the front of it, you're probably taking some major performance hits because it's basically reallocating the thing every time you do it. So super, super duper expensive thing to do there. Something that's interesting that I don't think I've seen that much of, maybe outside of like the spread operator and the new Atmos script stuff, is using for of in an array. You ever done it? Either of you
1: no. for like, is that a way of looping without having to deal with the numbers? So you just go through each one. It it's, it's I an iterator. It's
2: an iterator for an array. I didn't know that this existed for some reason. So we've all done the for loops for I equals zero, I is less than, you know, array dot length and et cetera. Right. Uh, they actually have an iterator in it. That's called for of, and it's only for arrays. If you use this on an array, then you'll get a fast iterator through it. Hmm. Technically, because an array is an object, you can use the for in. But the problem is, it's not a good idea for a couple of reasons. One, it's 10 to 100 times slower. Oh, wow. That's quite a bit slower. And two, you can actually get items that you didn't expect because it is an object. When you do a for in, you're looping through the keys of an object, Right. And so, you might get internal properties of the object that weren't actually part of your array. So, you know, the speed's enough to stay away from it. The other one's a good reason just not do it at all unless you want to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, so, yeah, next time you go to do a loop through an array, check out four of. Or then,
0: maybe don't because it sounds like you're going to see stuff you didn't mean to see.
2: Well, no, four of you get for of you get what you want. Four in, uh, you oh. don't.
0: Sorry. Misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, so <laughs> this, this to me was crazy. I don't think I'd ever thought about it. Never considered it. Length is not really a length. It's nothing more than the largest numbered index plus one. Soak that in for a second. That's, yeah, that's ridiculous. Weird. What?
0: Yeah.
1: So it, if you loop like four, I equals one <laughs> or I equals zero to uh length, and then potentially you're going <laughs> to you're gonna hit you know errors because there's a whole bunch of empty stuff in there, right?
2: If you say my array 1000 equals one, then your, then your length is 1001.
1: That sounds like a good reason to use for of rather than for I equals zero, I less than length. <laughs> it could be, a, it could be a very good reason.
2: Yeah. But yeah, that kind of blew my mind right there is it's, it's not like it's keeping track of things that you added to it. It doesn't care. Just whatever the largest indices is plus one. That's it. Um. So yeah, did that there. Length is writable. All right. So in in most cases, like you're not going to go into C and be like my array, you know, int ten, and then say no, 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 <laughs> my array dot length is three. That doesn't work. It doesn't. It won't work. In JavaScript, you can do that, and. <laughs> If you increase it, nothing really happens. Like if you, if you had an array of length five and you say, no, 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 my array dot length is a hundred, it'll do it. It's, I don't know if it's going to buy you, but it'll do it. On the flip side, if you had an array of size 10 and you said, Hey, my array dot length is five, it's actually going to truncate those last five items on the array. So. A really quick way to actually empty out array is my array dot length equals zero it'll actually kill the entire array wow. so so yeah length is writable again don't know that i ever
1: really thought about it you know it's funny i don't remember seeing that tip in javascript the good parts uh we didn't write it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't really remember seeing any of this funky array stuff in javascript the good parts i wonder if they intentionally skipped it because it's crazy
2: Man, there's there's so much nuts with with JavaScript that it's just really hard to to, to even go into it. I mean, I, I kind of glossed over it because we're going to be getting into queues later. But the JavaScript array is also a queue because this whole notion of pop and 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 push those are queue type functions, right? When you're talking about queues and stacks and that kind of stuff, like shift, unshift, those are queue functions. So really, the array object in JavaScript that's really an object is your array your object your queue like it's kind of crazy um and I have one more pop quiz thing here so so this could, i, I well, go ahead.
0: real quick I just wanted to like add something because I thought we had kind of talked about this but one it feels like this come up and it probably off you know outside of any recording but like the attributes of like JavaScript properties. Like the, cause you brought up the writable, but there's also like, cause so you're talking about these arrays. I, I was like, Oh, let me go pull up the official documentation. I'm kind of curious to see some of this, you know, cause I was super curious to see like, okay, well, is there a default? Like, you know, how does the default max, you know, sizing work? Um, and then I pulled up the actual ECMA, uh, standard on, on it. And specifically related to the length property. It was talking about, it has the attributes, writable and and configurable. And I, I thought that that had come up once before in something that we had talked about. Um, mm-hmm. but length is a number is the number type. And so that's why it has, that's why it has that, that writable property. Right. But yeah, I, so if
1: they'd done a function call instead, you know, like maybe dot, like dot, get length,
0: get length. Right. I am curious, though, because like in the official specification, there is this thing that because you were talking about like how you could quickly empty out the the array or resize the array or like how you could truncate it. But there's this thing where it says attempting to set the length of the length property on an array object to a value that is numerically less than or equal to the largest numeric property name of an existing array indexed non-deletable property of the array will result in the length being set to a numeric value that is one greater than the largest numeric property name.
2: Oh, so even when you set it, it's going to reset it for you. So if you say dot length is
0: five. no. well, that that's what I was trying. That's, to, that's why I was like, well, let me like over here real quick. That doesn't make sense. Try something. All um, right, here we go. To
2: the so console. To the console. Here we go. This makes for great listening.
1: <laughs> Everybody hang on. Hey, this is science over here, so. That's right. So I'm sciencing
0: our, over here.
2: Let my array equal. And we're gonna say one, comma, two, three, four, five, and then I'm gonna say my array dot length, and I get five, which is good. Now I'm gonna say my array dot length equal two, and it says two. Now I'm gonna dump out my array dot length. Yeah, it's still two. So I don't know what they're trying to say. I I, I mean. It does wipe out everything after. So if I just dump out my array now, I have 1, comma 2, which is great because it truncated off 3, 4, and 5, which is exactly what we said. And my length is still 2. So I don't know what they were trying to say in that thing.
0: Yeah. I, I, well, I don't either, but that's why I'm kind of confused by it. But I was kind of wondering, like, oh, well, maybe if this is what they're talking about, like, maybe the default has to relate to the properties because they say – if it's less than or equal to the largest numeric property name of an existing array indexed non-deletable property, like that's a whole list of words. Like, what? <laughs> well, what did you just it, say? It,
2: yeah, man. You can't read any of those uh, those major standardized documents for, for any kind of those definitions for languages because none it's of them
1: make sense. It's almost
2: like legalese for coders.
0: It holy totally is. Totally, yeah, it's
1: funny. So, I'm seeing the same thing where I do it. If I set the length to zero, then it basically wipes the whole array. But one thing that I thought was interesting if I do like a you know, my array at one equals one, my array at two equals two, and I set the uh, length to one, then I expect my x at one to still be equal to one. And let's see if it is, should be. So, my length is now equal to one. Excellent. Oh, you know what? I'm an idiot. It's zero-based. Yeah. So by saying, yeah, so okay, yeah. Mystery solved. So yeah,
0: I mean, it's working exactly like you said it is. Cool. Yeah, there's, there's I just noticed like in this spec here, because the Mozilla documentation takes you straight to like the length property documentation, but above that they actually have like the pseudocode definition and it is surprisingly long. <laughs> for this like let me let me share this guy oh shoot let me copy that and i'm going to paste that uh after and when we that. talk about
1: like what kind of programmer you want to be uh like there's different kinds you know like do you want to write the next uber like one could be like would you want to you know write the next javascript i'll tell you what i don't want to do <laughs> anything that involves specs right or multiple pages Oh man, no doubt.
0: Like scroll scroll up from that link that I just sent cuz that should take you Oh no, that does take you straight to the the pseudocode that I was describing. And then below that, like that's 15.4.5.1 so if two would be Oh good lord. The length. It's like a document outline. Right, it is. No. Like look how many look how far the nesting goes. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Describe, we're talking about the length, man. This thing goes well, how many levels deep are we? One, two, three, levels. Four levels deep in the yeah, pseudo code has
1: an A, has an I, has
0: a capital A, right?
1: <laughs> I'm seeing some Roman cool. numerals in here. That's
2: bad code, bad pseudo code.
0: It had to repeat <laughs> it like it, the outline went so deep, the numbers had to repeat. <laughs>
2: it's like, well, I crazy. guess
0: we're using numbers again because.
2: All right, so so. Outlaw made a statement on the last podcast that I thought was awesome because it's it's truly the way most of us operate is like, man, I'm writing new code. I'm not thinking about this. I'm just gonna create a list or I'm gonna two list something or whatever, right? I'm I'm not using arrays. Why would I use an array? So it made me curious like, is there is there a big difference in performance in the list and and an array in C sharp? right and so what do you think what do you guys think are they the same are they one better than the other
1: i'm going to guess the same because i think that lists use arrays underneath the covers
0: i mean okay so in <laughs> full disclosure here i didn't realize that the link was part of i thought that was something else so i clicked on oh, the link come on but I can still say what I would have thought, but now it's totally tainted, so who cares? Well, what would you have thought if you're gonna be honest about this? Well, I mean, I kind of said it last time. Like the arrays I would assume would be faster, but I'm not gonna care about that. Like the 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 writability and the the ease of writing using the list is gonna be good enough until I know that it's not. And that's when I would look at the array. So I feel like I gave my answer last time. It's like, rays are probably faster. So
2: I actually I have a link to a Stack Overflow article. Uh, apparently, it's not idegeek for What is it? idegeek dot
0: geekcom Ah,
2: oh, I can't remember. At any rate, um, I had run this through a a test. There was somebody that actually wrote the code to just sort of put timers on large arrays, I want to say it was six million uh you know items in an array or in a list and did it and it turns out that the the array is almost twice as fast. It, like when you average out the number of runs it's it's quite a bit faster. So I'd be lying if I didn't wonder if under the covers if a list was using an array because that's what I was curious about when I when I went looking for this. Um, but I have my suspicions that the array would be faster, and it looks like it is doing some some memory optimization and contiguous memory type things so that it is quite a bit faster. Yeah, the so,
1: reasoning wasn't very sound. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a list, I mean, you know, an array under the cover, so it should be faster. It's like, how is it going to be faster <laughs> if it's doing uh, that? You know, on that Stack Overflow answer, if you scroll down a little bit, the, uh, the second uh, best answer has an interesting table. That kind of talks about the pros and cons of like array versus list versus link list. And surprisingly, and, list did win in one category, uh, which was uh, lots of append calls. And it says it's because of a pseudo append. I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm guessing there's some sort of like fast, like optimization particular to adding go that's different uh, than arrays. I don't, I don't wait, know what this, that means. But. That's interesting. Oh, by
2: the way, the IDE, it's ide.geeksforgeeks.org. And so I just ran this and it's not quite twice as fast. This is just a one run. So the list was 2084 milliseconds. So, you know, 2.1 seconds. And the array for that same loop, which was almost 6 million items, is 1.6 seconds. So... You say 0.4, which is probably about a 30-ish percent. So, and, you know, multiple runs will give you similar type results. So, pretty interesting. Uh, it is faster user rates, but you also lose a lot of the functionality, like just being able to add multiple things to it, right? And it, it, it's the reason he said that he uses lists is because the same reason all of us use lists is because it's just so easy, Right. Oh, you need to add another item to it. Okay. List.add. Done. Right. Oh, wait a second. I exceeded the length of my array. Uh, let me reallocate this thing. Right. Like it's just not worth the hassle 90% of the time. And if you're not micro optimizing, then it doesn't matter. So,
0: um, what else yeah, I got? Yeah. We're usually not storing six million items in our lists either. So exactly. Exactly. Um, so
2: we mentioned earlier, like in a strongly typed language, in your, if you're in C sharp, if you're in Java, you know, those type of things, if you have an array, the items have to be the same type. Um, in loosely typed, uh, ob- or languages like Ruby, JavaScript, that kind of stuff, you can put whatever you want in there. You know, feel is free. Is it
1: still an array though? If I have things, if I have like an int 32 and index zero and an n64 and index one, is it, am I still an array?
2: Wait, were you talking about in a strongly typed? Either one, you can't do well, that in a yeah. strongly typed. Yeah. So in a loosely one, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's still an array because all it's doing is creating you uh, in order to index to get to those items. It doesn't care what the items are. It just wants to know that you've you know uh, continuously added things in order.
1: Uh, I was thinking in JavaScript. I can do like array dot is array and pass it my junk my my junky array. That started out as an array, and I kept adding stuff to it, and it's going to tell me that it's still an array. But kind of by the Wikipedia definition of contiguous memory with the same sizes, they can do pointer arithmetic for fast lookups. Like, I've kind of violated the spirit and the rules of this data structure, and yet the function still calls it an array. But I think that the
0: difference here, though, is that, like, if you were to compare – let's go back to our comparison of C versus JavaScript, right? In JavaScript, if you – Like you said earlier, Alan, when you do the type of brackets, right, it returns back object, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't know, like it doesn't, that's what it is. It's an object. So that's why you're able to do the weirdness on it, right? It's not like a true array versus in C, you're, when you create that array, you're getting a block of memory that is going to be like, okay, you're going to have, contiguous blocks that are gonna be like here's where your first integer is gonna go your second integer is gonna go and your third integer but it's not returning back an object right it right. is an integer array
1: Anyway, with all this stuff like there's kind of like the textbook definition and then there's like the real world so all this stuff gets a little kind of gray but it's not interesting to look at yep um so again, we said in most type languages,
2: an array is going to be a fixed sequential size, typically in contiguous memory. Unlike JavaScript, where you can just keep adding to it, like I mentioned, it's very similar to a queue. At that point, it's an array. The syntax looks like an array, but it's sort of acting like a queue. Um, and then we have
1: uh, yeah, I put a couple of notes in here, like like kind of like fun little when an array is not an array. We really hit all these, but just. I was kind of like struggling with the definition because I would read about arrays on Wikipedia and it's like, Oh, it has fixed size, it's contiguous memory. I'm like, well, what about Ruby? <laughs> like it, it's not a fixed size, but then you read about how it's implemented under the covers and depending on the implementation, the various engines you're using, like we mentioned with JavaScript, it can be done different ways. And so you can declare a JavaScript array, treat it not like an array and then underneath the covers. It's not implemented using an array anymore, and still JavaScript tells you an array. And you would be hard-pressed to argue that, that it's not. I mean, you you can say that you're not happy about it, but <laughs> <laughs> this thought was kind of interesting. And, and it's kind of interesting to look at languages, too, because, like, Ruby has, you know, I mentioned, like, dynamic arrays, which do that kind of trick that uh, C-sharp lists do where it allocates an array underneath the covers and whatever language is written in, I think, C, and then will dynamically kind of grow that. And so, if it needs to uh, grow the array, it will dynamically allocate like roughly double the spot, the space, and then copying the new stuff over to it. And it's just kind of funny that like C sharp calls that a list, and Ruby calls it an array, and conceptually they're kind of the same thing. And then here, you have in here, what
2: about Python? What <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't greatness. even have arrays. It's like, yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> we're not, we're just going to call them lists. Like, get over it. You just, have to, you just have to do it, and arrays are one of those things that like you kind of need some language support to, to like deal. I, I, I mean, I guess you could build your own by contiguous, uh, uh, contiguous memory, and then having some way to index it, like maybe a function. But like to me, like I need those square brackets. Like if it doesn't have square brackets, it's not an array in my book. <laughs> so it's,
2: so it's all syntax for you. You don't know what are <laughs> <it's really
1: laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, it is. So I thought that was kind of funny distinction. Like so, I think it's like if it's got brackets, like it's an array. So, unless it's a test table. <laughs> uh There's no hope. Anyway, we mentioned, um, you know, how you can do goofy things in JavaScript, like um, putting different types in there, or even using them as keys. Um, I, and we've got, we'll have a link in here the show notes to uh, like a nice write up on t- some of the different engines and what they use kind of under, underneath the hood. And like, just like Alan said, like basically like when is the JavaScript array, you know, not technically an array. It's like, when do you start doing weird stuff? And let's face it. You know, when you're doing weird stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah. We're looking at you.
0: Oh, you know, well, I mean, there were a couple examples though, that you don't know that you're necessarily doing weird stuff. Like, right. Like there were three that stand, stand out as like, I don't know how you weird you might consider that. Like the, the, The gap, the big indice gap, that was one. If you added a property to it, well, maybe you could consider that one. Uh, You've turned it into an object. But it was already an object is my point. Yeah, but it wasn't an object. No, it (laughs) totally was.
1: Before you uh, tip type on that keyboard and you're doing something weird.
0: You do type of brackets, you get back object. So if it's going to be an object, then fine. It should have properties on it. Why not? But yet... When you do that, like you said, it totally changes it. And it's no longer like the array type of object. or so whatever yeah, is gone. What was your third one that you thought was interesting? The reverse one. The reversing was like interesting. Like, but that's totally, yeah, that was a weird one because it's like, well, I don't know if you said this. So did you like, if you put a hundred items in the array mm-hmm. and then reversed it,
2: you'd be fine.
0: Okay it would be fine. It's only if you had it if you hadn't initialized it and you tried to reverse it, that's when it was the problem. Okay.
2: If you if you created the array by saying index one hundred equals, you know, A, index ninety nine equals B, if you went in that order, it's not going to treat it like an array. But if you added them one through one hundred, then said, you know, array dot reverse, fine. It's still an array because it's sorted properly. It's just the fact that it kind of goes back to that big gap thing. Right, so you started at index one hundred when you didn't have anything before that, and so it's like, yo, I don't guess this is an array because you just gave me some random index.
0: So, well, I guess it depends yeah. too. Like, I would be curious to check it out to see the fit. Like, um, does it have to be like l- too large a size, right? Before, like, maybe if it's small enough, right, then it's like, 10, okay, yeah, fine, we'll we'll leave it as an array. But if you get too big. Because yeah, I don't know. Maybe at some point it's like, hey man, I really can't tell if you're trying to use this thing as an array or an associative array. So right. I'm gonna like assume associative array, and then we're gonna it, change everything. It,
2: it, for anybody that's ever heard associative array, that's just an object. That's really all that is. It's it's like a keyed object. So
1: you know what you know what I you know what I hate? <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I hate that. The reverse function in JavaScript changes the array in place. So you have an array one, two, three. You do a uh, dot reverse on it. It changes it to three, two, one. And now it returns it too. So if you were to do like, you know, var, uh, new array equals array dot reverse, you might think, Hey, I got two arrays here, but it's not true. It's the same array assigned to two different variables and they're both reversed. Like if you do something like stuff in reverse and, um, React in particular, like when, this is where I kind of noticed it because I'd never really thought about it before. I did something and I dot-reversed the array. Well, I noticed every time I appended to the array, it <laughs> would get reversed again. So every time that thing rendered, it would totally swap the order. <laughs> <laughs> was doing like, why would you do that, JavaScript? Uh, they're trying to save memory, man.
0: And uh, don't modify my arguments. Uh, that's, that's the best practices. Wasn't that like so- uh, one of the, Uncle Bob's... Uh, to bad no-nos right like if you uh you change the property that was passed in yep. yeah i mean when i still do that but in this unexpected. case you're not passing
1: it's the object <laughs> calling the method uh, I, hey i put comments above it i'm like saying like i shouldn't do this but it's okay because i put a comment <laughs> that's right. right
2: um so a few other things to close out here on arrays because there's more information than what you thought you'd ever get out of an array right um The maximum size in JavaScript is 2 to the 31st for 32-bit systems, basically, is what you got. That's roughly 4.29 billion elements. Which totally sucks,
0: man. Why wouldn't they make it? Like, why 32-bit, not 64? So, that's interesting. So, let's (laughs) go ahead and jump into Java. I was joking.
2: (laughs) Java's the same, though. It doesn't matter if you're running on a 64-bit architecture or your 128 or your 256-bit, not that they exist yet, or any of those. They cap out at the 32-bit maximum, which is, you know, the 2 to the 31st unsigned, which is interesting. There's actually articles all over the place out there of people that are like, hey, I'm submitting this to the Java standards to say this is how they could implement it. Um, I don't think they care <laughs> because they
1: would have just done it already. I, I was hey, uh, totally, Oracle certainly doesn't care.
0: I, yeah, I was totally joking because I think if you need you know more than four point two nine billion elements in your array, you might be doing it wrong if you're trying to keep that all in memory. <laughs> like I right. was totally joking. Like that should be more than enough.
2: You, you would think so, but in C sharp, if you wanted to, you know, test out your memory. You can do it. You can actually, so maximum size by default, the max size of an array is two gigabytes, two gigabytes in a 64 bit environment. That's, that's a lot, right? Um, you can avoid the, the size resti- restriction by setting the enabled attribute of the garbage cl- or GC allow very large objects configuration <clears throat> to true in the runtime environment. Uh, however, the array will still be limited to a total of 4 billion elements into a maximum index, and it gives these things. So, kind of interesting. C sharp allows you to store a lot of data in memory for arrays.
0: But isn't that the same as the Java? Java the number was, of
2: elements. Yeah, definitely was, is. They were both so,
0: two gigabit and four billion elements, though. They're all they're all yeah. the same.
2: I could have sworn I'd seen something in C sharp that said it was bigger, but no, you're right. They are the same. So
0: yeah, it's just it's just that the C C the C sharp documentation was referring to it in like size of the memory space of the, of the array, not the number of elements of the array.
2: Yeah. So you can cram more in there than two gigabytes, but you're still limited to the four point, you know, two, nine billion elements. That's, that's a decent amount. Um, and so wrapping this thing up, when do you want to use this in type languages? You probably want to use it if you're trying to squeeze, every bit of performance out of it that you can, right? It's one of the very fastest ways to store and access the data in memory.
1: And you're not having to move things around in that array because that stinks. Right, and that's
2: really the next part is, otherwise, you probably want to use in lists, link lists, that kind of thing, because they're more flexible and you have a lot more things you can do with them and you don't have to worry about the sizing of those things.
0: Well, I was going to add to that though, like if you... If you know that you're going to have a billion things in in memory, then you would want to choose an array. But if That's you're your only part. going to have like a reasonable number like, you know, if you're if you're counting your things in like the hundreds or less, then a list is probably going to be just fine enough for you until you realize it's a problem. But, you know, once you get like, "Oh, I got to have a a million or, you know, millions of these <clears> things <throat> in memory," then it might be more advantageous to use the array. Definitely. Unless you're like an n factorial algorithm and you're just
1: like looping over that thing over and over and over and over over again.
0: Well, then your problem is your your looping problem, right? Not the size? Yeah. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Cool. This episode is sponsored by Discover.Bot. Now, bots are everywhere. Could you imagine, guys, seriously, could you imagine Slack without bots in the fun that that has? Have you ever wondered, like, well, how can I create my own bot? Like, what does it take? So, Discover.Bot is an online community for bot creators, Amazon Registry Services, Inc. has created Discover.Bot to serve as a platform-agnostic digital space for bot developers and enthusiasts of all skill levels to learn from one another, share their stories, and move the conversation forward together. On its own,
2: even a good idea isn't always as powerful as it could be. But, but when a good idea is shared, it gains strength and momentum. It becomes capable of changing things in
1: ways both small and large. A good idea shared becomes an innovation. Discover.Bot aims to sit at the intersection of ideas and innovation. They want to help people turn their experiences, discoveries, stories, advice, and knowledge into part of a shared canon that moves everyone forward. For veterans and beginners alike,
0: Discover.Bot is a place for learning, teaching, and talking. Head to Discover.bot slash coding box. That's discover.bot slash coding box to learn about how to get started on your next great bot. All right. So, next up, I'm going to tell you about link lists. And, uh,
1: I am a big fan of linked lists, even though they definitely have some problems and some disadvantages compared to arrays. And so, I think they're much less common. Uh, at least, um, you know, I don't certainly don't use them nearly as much as I do arrays. Uh, but again, the, the, the big part of that is just because the languages I use, like C sharp and JavaScript, like make it really easy for me to not worry about the types of things that are traditionally problems with arrays, like coming up with that size up front.
0: I don't know. I mean, when we talked about, you know, your favorite social platforms, linked didn't, wasn't that far off. I mean, that's yeah. the one, you know, when you're just trying to keep it professional. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nicely done.
1: I kind of feel like linked lists is one of those things in computer science where like they tell you about arrays and you're like, "Oh, wow, that's really cool." And they're like, "Yeah, but linked lists are cool too." And then they spend like, you know, one lecture trying to convince you that linked lists are like some, you know, better for some things and they give you a couple of examples and then you go back to using arrays all the time. And there's no doubt that they they have some definite advantages, but I just don't have them come up that often, so uh I definitely have a preference for arrays, but today I'm going to try and sell you on why linked lists are also cool. <laughs> Uh, like a that? Luigi Wait, you,
0: Mario, you gotta work on your salesmanship here, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you feel sympathetic for linked lists. And what linked lists are are basically ordered sets of objects that contain references to the next item in a list, kind of like a conga line. So you think um, I've got my object and my object. It also, you know, it knows about my object, but it also has a, a pointer to the next object in the line, and so. It, typically in code, you would kind of have like a wrapper class or something where like a node class where it has a reference to the thing you actually care about, like the person in the conga line. And then you would have a, a, a pointer called next. And in some cases, it, um, you can have a double linked list where you also keep track of the previous. And we'll talk about the advantages of that. And then that lets you go backwards and forwards in your list really easily. And it has some, uh, some particular advantages over uh, arrays. So, what's the deal with the double? So, the cool thing about having a double linked list where you've got a pointer to the person in front of you, the person behind you in the conga line, is that if you only have that person, you've taken that person kind of out of the context of the list, and you know that they're in the list, they're in the conga line, but you're only looking at that one person, and you want to take that out of there, then you can easily say, hey, get your previous person, set its next to your next now, and in that one line you've cut this thing out of the list that's not something you can do in array if you've got an array of a hundred numbers, you can't just snip out number forty nine and then still be able to loop over it uh, It's not going to work right you're going to have to shift everything down one that's terrible. well, you can in JavaScript, yeah, I mean you can in JavaScript
0: <laughs> I feel like that's going to be like a an asterisk for every conversation <laughs> we're going to have while we go over data structures well you you can do it in JavaScript yeah that's
1: yeah, good. Star, you can do it in JavaScript. Star, star. Uh, it's no, like nothing is technically anything in JavaScript. So we're not even really talking about the uh, same things. Uh, all right, go ahead. Sorry. All right. So that was the deal with the double.
2: and uh, so, the, so with the double, you say you can snip it out. You cannot do that with a single.
1: Yeah, you can't do it with a single in the same step. So if, if I grab the one person out of the conga line, and so I say, you know uh, – You know, hey Jamie, come over here. You're out. (laughs) Like I can't do that without knowing uh, specifically who the person, the previous person in the Congo line was, and who the next person was. And if I only knew the next, then I can't do that. So the only way to remove an item from a, a singly linked list is to say, you know, when you only know the item, is to say, okay, we'll tell you what. Let's loop through that list and keep looking at the next value. And the next value is equal to Jamie. Then take Jamie's next and set it to my next. And so now Jamie is cut out. So it's just kind of a convenience thing. And like ultimately, um, the problem is the overhead of you having to maintain those double values. And so link, uh, double linked lists are not really that that uh, common. I think it's just kind of like a weird little exception. That uh, it's kind of nice to have, enough, if you are using something like a linked list class in C-sharp, then there's a good chance it's doing a double linked list because kind of why not? It's uh, ultimately, um, you know, it's one more line of code. It doesn't significantly impact the actual uh, runtime, like the big O time of adding a new node because it's just a constant operation, so why not? So if I were writing a linked list today, I would probably not think about doing it double, (laughs) But really, there's not a, a compelling reason not to, other than if you're doing this from scratch for some reason. Now, the pros of linked lists are, one, you don't have to specify a size up front, which means no over-provisioning, right? You don't have to worry about creating, like, a new linked list, or, sorry, a new list in C-sharp and it, having an array of size 1,000 underneath the covers, and you're only using three of them. So that's really nice. Uh, and it's also uh, – there's no need for contiguous memory, which is really great if you have, like, really big lists. And so you don't have to find this huge chunk of memory that's all in one spot. You don't have to, like um, – what do they call it in Windows? Defrag your memory just in order to get your, your list in there. So you can have these things hopping all over the place. That's really nice. And then it's easy to insert and delete. Okay, you know, I mentioned, like, the Congo line example where if you if you know the previous and next, then it's really easy. And otherwise, you just kind of have to loop through, find the appropriate kind of... I keep wanting to say parent, but it's not a tree. It's really similar to how one's set up, but it's just uh, kind of a one-dimensional. Yeah. Yeah, this is the simple. This is what trees are kind of built on. (laughs) This is the the progenitor. And because of um, that ability to snip out and actually to add things in the middle too, it's really nice too. So like, you know, Array, we mentioned (laughs) those shifts and... um, was it shift and d shift? Unshift. Yeah. Unshift. <laughs> Those really stink in arrays because you have to move everything over, which means looping through the entire array and say this equals that, this equals that, this equals that, and however many times. In a linked list, it's really easy to say like, okay, you want to add a new item to the beginning of the list. So like, okay, here's my new node. It's next equals the first item in the list
0: currently. You know, hey, while Done. we're talking about this with the the, because I really liked the conga example so so for those who aren't familiar with either of these uh think of the let's go with the conga example for the the singly linked list so both of your hands are on the person in front of you so both of your hands only know about that one person but think of a doubly linked list as you're holding hands one hand your left hand is holding the hand of the person behind you and your right hand is holding the person the hand of the person in front of you. So each hand knows a different person. So if you wanted to remove yourself from the list, you just combine your, you know, take your two hands and you know, give your partners each the other partner's hand, right? And now you're out of the list, right? Does that does that sound like a good visualization for those following along? Yeah.
1: Yes, I like that. And it's like, say, Jamie, you're out of the conga line. It's like the double link list. It's like, okay, fine. You basically. <laughs> clap those other two hands together and then you're out you know go yep. have a seat out hey, of the so conga line
2: i have a question about this because i remember like going back to college days when we were doing java and it's like you said you start with arrays and then you kind of end up in linked lists are these still like a big thing is this still um a data structure that's used a lot in something like java or have they gone on to things like vectors or or whatever it, it, like I'm just curious because like C sharp I didn't even realize they had linked list until we were looking at this topic because it's just is it a data structure either one of you guys have gone to in C sharp?
0: I mean I I've well for one I've only ever used it as like for school and interview kind of questions like that's the only time I've ever had it like really be a thing right okay uh, and I did go back and double check too because I was curious and it, the C sharp linked list type is a doubly uh, sorted list so i that's not to say that it doesn't have its place i've just never found myself in a situation where i'm going to have an object and i'm like oh hey what was the previous one because typically i'm just already in an array and i would like know where i am so i'm like i oh, just go back minus one
1: you know yeah uh unless you're doing some pretty like serious algorithmic type stuff i don't think there's a real strong compelling reason uh, you know i do see trees come up a lot like in in like real world applications as well as interviews and whatnot. And it's so similar. Like the difference between a linked list and a tree is like how many children you have. <laughs> like it's not just the next. And so the difference, but really the difference between a, um, uh, a double A linked list and a binary tree is kind of just convention, right? It's well, two pointers.
2: Well, I don't know if you go with a conga line thing, it's basically, you'd have multiple lines forming behind you
1: really. I mean that's yeah. So conceptually, it's it's different in how you do it, and it doesn't make sense to like you know use a linked list for a binary tree because you like you can't snip out the middle. Like, what does it mean if you just snip out one of the nodes? Like, it just gets kind of weird. But it's okay. just kind of funny to me, like that the way you would program a linked list and the way that you program a tree is like nearly identical. Just one has like <laughs> children, and the link just has one. Okay.
0: Yeah, I was curious. So I, I was. I did some quick uh, googling to see, like, hey, what are some real world uses of the uh, of a linked list? And and the one that uh, has the most upvotes on Stack Overflow was the was a FIFO data structure, a first in first out. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because you want to be able to pop that the
1: first thing off of the list all the time, which an array we mentioned is really slow. But yep. if you want to get the first item out of a list, it's like okay, well, <laughs> list equals uh, the head, which is the first item. Dot next, and then
2: yank it out. Right. Yeah. That's it. You're done. Okay. Cool. All right. And Sorry, didn't mean to hijack you with the random side this. Um,
1: which you no, got? All good. No, I think um, the thing I like best about it is basically just that it's elegant. You know, there's things that are ugly to do in array like moving those things around or the shift, d shift or unshift <laughs> that are just really elegant and, and feel nice in uh in lists. So that's cool. And the over provisioning thing is actually a pretty big deal if you're declaring a lot of you know lists in C sharp and not <laughs> not linked list 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 T, then it's uh gonna be over provisioning like a lot. And so it's kinda kinda gross if you're doing a lot of it, but it's also gross to do a lot of it anyway. So good luck. Now the downsides, so no random access, I can't say, uh, give me, uh, index 14, right? Even telling you the length of a linked list is a bit of a problem. So you'll see data structures that solve that. They'll say, okay, this is a linked list, but we also have a special property called length and where we just keep track of that sort of thing. But that also means that you have you're restricted in how you can interact with that list, and so you can't just go and say, "Hey, Jamie, you're out." Now you have to go through some other sort of interface that's going to keep track of that number. So you start to drop the advantages of it being a list, which stinks. So yeah, if you want to know the length of a list, you got to go through the conga line and you know count the heads, and uh, that's pretty much what you're looking at. And you can't just say go to number fourteen because all you keep track of is really the first person in the list and you have to iterate through it in order to get to the 14th one. So that's up, that's on you to do. So that stinks. And it's also a terrible choice for some algorithms because of that, like a binary search. Remember that's the one where you like flip open the dictionary to the middle and you're like, is my, the word I'm looking for greater than or less than And we flip to the middle of that and you keep going down. And so, you know, even with a, a very large dictionary, uh, you can get to the word you're looking for a, a logarithmic amount of steps, a very tiny amount of steps. Terrible for a list because even to get to the middle of the list means, well, I got to kind of go find the length of the list. So let me do 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 do, do, do get to the end, then bup, 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 go back, and then da, 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 go to the middle. So in arrays, each one of those is an add, add, add. So over one step, so they're basically constant time. They're nothing. Every time we have to navigate somewhere in the list, it's like a O of n operation just to get to that node. So terrible for binary search. And uh, there's a little bit of extra memory required there. Like you think of the array, it's super efficient, right? We allocate, you know, the size of int times however many elements you want to have in that array. So linked list, you're going to have an integer, but you're also going to have a pointer to the object that wraps the integer, and you're going to have a pointer to the next object next thing in the conga list so compared to an array you know right just that example there it's three times the amount of memory that you need compared to the array Hmm. so that
0: kind of stinks you know i i was thinking back to to my comment a moment ago because i was like when i mentioned the fifo and i'm like no even if it was like a lifo uh you could still use a linked list and then i realized like oh i meant to like check for real world uses for doubly linked lists. And I accidentally used oh. the Google, you know, uh, suggestion when it came up with like lean lists. I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, I'm trying to do two things at one time. Yeah, that's what I wanted. But the Wait. real world use for the doubly linked list, the accepted answer on stack overflow was as it relates to operating systems, that that's how you can like move processes from one queue to another. Like, you know, it's you. It's used there to know like which ones are being blocked and which ones aren't and which ones to you know release.
2: Hmm. So pretty- still, so still very academic.
0: I mean, if you're writing a lot of operating systems, then you know I probably insulted you with what I just described of it. <laughs> but uh, you're like, of course, that's where it's used, outlaw. But yeah.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool to know just like given this process, like go get me the previous one or go get me the next one. If the, if we were dealing with an array, first of all, we'd have to set a max cap. Like, okay, well, I don't know. 17 is the max number of processes. And then in addition to having our process, we'd also have to know its index in that line and we'd have to know the max, you know, length so we don't try to go next. And so it's just extra stuff that you have to do that gets a little nasty. So if you find yourself trying to keep uh, the index of your item in the array, in addition to the item in the array, in addition to the length of the array, if you're looking at those types of things, then maybe you should be looking at uh, doing a linked list instead. Another reason uh, there's three reasons I basically found uh, for when to use them ins- uh, lots of inserts and deletes. And so if you're doing things in place in- with an array, you have to bump them all. So if you're doing like um, inserting things into the middle of your list, this is great for that. Uh, if you don't need random access and you don't need a fixed size. So that's when you use linked, ris- uh, uh, linked lists. where you have to start at the beginning. Yeah, it stinks. And so what about languages that don't have uh, pointers that you can use? Like JavaScript doesn't have pointers, but there's nothing stopping you from using linked list. You basically just have a reference to your next object. So an example here would be like um, var node 1 equals the brackets, value equals 6, and you do node 2 equals... Brackets value equals seven, and then you do node one dot next equals node two. And you just made a simple linked list. You, you don't even have to keep track of node two anymore. You can just set your, you know, var list equals node one. Done. So that's pretty cool. Uh, C sharp has a linked link list class, which is really interesting because my first kind of thought was there is like, well, that's kind of silly. I, I guess like you know, why not build it in? It's something I could build in easily and do with generic support through T, so it's something that it's, would be really easy for you to program, but then I took a look at the actual methods they have on it, and they actually have a lot of really nice stuff that just make life easier for you. So if you're gonna do a linked list in C, you might as well use this, the linked list class because it has methods like add first, add last, remove last, add after elements and all that's doing is stuff that you'd be doing manually so it's it's not doing any you know rocket surgery or anything there if you say uh, add after and pass the number three it's gonna go all right let me start at the head zero one two three and then add it after that so it's, it's not doing any less work it's just done for you so that's nice and they probably did a better low level low level type job than you're gonna do so you might as well use it
2: have you done much rocket surgery?
1: <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> okay, just, just, just curious. I went, to, I went to high school around that time. That one song came out, you know, that don't impress me much. So, oh wow, what uh, song? Uh, is that Shania Twain? Uh, that don't keep me warm in the middle of the night. Yeah, that is Shania Twain. That is,
2: yeah, look at that. What wow. The wayback machine. Don't act like you didn't know who Shania Twain was.
0: I, <laughs> I don't know about the song. I didn't know the song. That I'm don't impress so. me
2: much. Yeah.
1: Oh, 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 oh. oh wait.
0: How did it go? Oh,
1: maybe I have heard of it. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I think you're all right, with that don't keep me warm in the middle of the night. That's
2: right. That don't impress me
1: much. Yeah. Oh, as you guys
0: that's, sing it, now it's starting to come back to me. That's what did it. Yeah. That's
1: yep. yeah. See,
2: it's it's the froggy voice along with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, okay.
2: It's
1: winter over here in our hemisphere, so you know, you think about these things. Alright, so linked list versus list. Uh hopefully it hasn't been too confusing because uh you know they sound so similar. And list is actually backed by an array, as we mentioned earlier, and uh linked list is backed by a linked list and <laughs> uh, linked list can cheaply add or remove items out of the middle, and list can only cheaply add things to the end. So uh, that's about it for link lists. Coolness. All right. And it's now that
2: time of the show where we do what we do best. And we beg for for you to take some time out of your day and leave us a review. If you haven't already, please do. For those like one of the ones that just recently did it, who left us a review several months back and then came back and left us another review you know super thank you for taking the time to do that i mean it's a it really does put a smile on our faces it it keeps encouraging us to keep going forward because i mean you guys guys gals you you write in and tell us you know how it's helped you and and, you know, you've advanced and, and you're switching careers or whatever. And it's just really nice to see that. And, and it helps other people find us, too. So, uh, if you would, you know, head to codingblocks.net slash review and hit one of those two links up there to either take you to iTunes or Stitcher and, you know, drop us a few words and, and, you know, put a smile on our faces.
1: Yeah, I'll make you a deal. If we can get to 1% of subscribers leaving a review, I will get a jQuery tattoo.
2: Jake. Are you going to tell them how many subscribers we have? Or is no. Outlaw, Outlaw's
1: going, Outlaw's going to tell you?
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see some crossed fingers here. Hold on. Now it's my time for uh, my favorite No, wait, no no, 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 no. you totally had your fingers crossed. Hold on now. Survey says. Wait, 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 wait. You're not getting away from this tattoo business because don't you already owe us a Visual Studio <laughs> tattoo?
1: No, I, I got that
0: uh, yeah. tattoo. Yeah, okay.
1: You're going to have to tune in the video to see this thing. Uh, (laughs) Go subscribe on YouTube. Can you show it? Leave a review.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh. Well, with that, let's head into my favorite portion of the show. It's the survey says. I didn't say it right that time. Ding. Yeah. Survey says. All right. So. Last episode, we said, who is your favorite virtual assistant? And your choices were Alexa, the OG of assistants, or Google Assistant, because accuracy matters, or Siri, who needs accuracy with looks this good, or Cortana, hipsterific. I only like the things no one else likes. Alright, let's start Joe. You go first. Tell me your pick and what percentage you think it had.
1: Alright, I'm gonna go with uh Siri. <laughs> uh with thirty five percent.
2: Got aggressive on me. Alright. Oh, um, Man, I'm struggling on this one. I don't know whether people are going to assume we you're talking about virtual assistants in their phones or these little gadgets that you put at home now. But
0: those are also virtual assistants.
2: I know, I know. I'm going to say Google Assistant because accuracy matters. And to be fair, I'm going to go 35 also.
0: Okay, so Joe, 35, Siri, Alan, also 35, but Google. Right. Alright, I feel like Joe is trolling me here. <laughs> like, what are you doing, dude? Seriously? Is that exactly right? You picked Siri? Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, nobody Siri?
1: likes Alexa. Okay. Right, no one's heard of Cortana. Let's
0: just get this. Google out of Assistant doesn't even have a human name. Obviously, I didn't mean to like write as you write as you said it, like, you know, jokingly laugh when you said it, but it like involuntarily it came out, so I apologize for laughing at your, <laughs> your answer. <laughs> but Alan won. Let's just go ahead and give it to Alan. Of course it was going to be Google Assistant. Why would it be anything else? But although, how high was it? Although, yeah, you, you kind of miss – you underrepresented what you thought it would be. It was like 65% of the vote. It, wow. was, it was right away the winner of of that survey. And it makes sense. That's yeah, the best one because yeah,
2: there's no question,
0: man. I'm telling you, you ask, you could ask Siri to play a song, and it's going to create a calendar entry for you or something <laughs> like that. Like, like setting alarm for four a.m. No, <laughs> oh, no, I didn't say that. I wish I could remember which song it was. It was so frustrating because I was, I was with my kids, and I was, and there was some song, and I asked Siri to play the song. And it couldn't find it, even though it verbatim repeated the song and artist, because I'd said both. And <laughs> and it was like, if I flip-flopped the order, then it understood ex- when was able to find the song. I'm like, man, come on. Dude, I will tell you.
2: Alexa is amazing at setting kitchen timers, <laughs> but outside of that, I just I give up. I, I'm sorry, I didn't understand the question. I'm like, of course you didn't. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You, Google, the Google Assistant, their their its ability to understand, parse your speech, and understand it and translate that into a meaningful action Unreal. is incredible. And even though like Alexa might have been the original in terms of like the dedicated device assistant, um, because if we're if we're talking about like phones, then it wasn't right. But uh, because in that case, it would be Siri. But um, yeah, it 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 doesn't compare like it's not nearly as good, in my opinion. And apparently, you know, also in the survey, it was second place. But man, it's such a distant second. Such a distant second. And Siri, by the way, was last place. Oh, really? Yeah. It was last place. And I say that as a diehard iPhone user. (laughs) Right. You know, we've talked about like how much even like we had that episode where like all of the things I was excited about, you know, coming out. We're like, oh, hey, I could use this with Google Assistant and everything like, come on.
2: So tell me this, though. Just to round this thing out, do you have the Google app installed on your iPhone and you use the Google app for asking things? I know you don't have the convenience of holding down the button and saying, hey, Siri, but do you use the Google apps uh, voice thing?
0: I I have that app, but I don't really use that app now. Okay. But I mean, I, I have like all of the Google apps, uh, you know, I mean, I, I well, they they have a lot. So I'm not going yeah. to say off, oh. but they I mean I have, you- have like a dozen Google apps. Let's say, let's call it. Well, they're
2: sunsetting them all next month. So it's- yeah,
0: they sunset well, that's twelve a month. So. Man, <laughs> but that you say that, but like you could have a Google like this just recently happened like over the summer. I think it was like there was a Google News app, and they're like, oh, well we're switching it to this Google News app. And you're like, what? Yep. Why didn't you just upgrade the one that was already installed, man? Like, right. I don't understand why you had to like it's the same functionality, there's same names, and yet you decided. No, nah, this needs a new SKU. It was a different department, man. It
2: was
1: a different department. Like, I, we didn't realize we already had a new app.
0: <laughs> right. You know, you're probably not wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, the Google apps are just too amazing, so you can't not use them. But I was surprised to see that Cortana beat out Siri that one, and I was like, really? It kind of hurt a little bit. No, uh, no, no. Because, like I said, <laughs> as the diehard iPhone user, like I was like, of course it's Google. Uh, so no yeah, no no hurt feelings over here at all. Uh, that's amazing. So what we got on
2: tap for today?
0: Uh all right. So today's survey is uh, you know, we're 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 rounding out the end of this year. We're we're wrapping up twenty eighteen here. So twenty nineteen is coming sooner than you might think. And if you haven't already been thinking about what you might want to set for your twenty nineteen goals, then uh you should start. And so, if you have already started thinking about those goals, like what do you want to focus on improving in 2019? So, your choices are front end. There's a 3P service for everything now. Or for those that want that spelled out, that'd be a third-party service for everything now. Jamstack. (laughs) (laughs) Jamstack 2019. Back end because... Because Flexbox, done. Persistence is king. Data, data, data. Or algorithms and data structures. Can't go wrong with the fundamentals. Clean code. Master the tactical before the strategic. Or architecture. I've ascended to higher levels of abstraction. And lastly... DevOps, good luck doing anything without me. I'm looking forward to these. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, yeah. I was going to say like where you think it was going to be, but then I was like, no, we don't want to do that. But we did ask that last time, and I said I didn't want to give it away for the virtual one. So obviously you can guess now that I thought that Google would be the winner. Yes. Very yeah. nice. Well, I'm buying
1: Jamstack 2020 uh, on .NET right now, so we'll put a new site up there. That's That's got my vote. Man, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> get off my lawn. Uh...
0: This episode is sponsored by Manning Publications. Now, I know I don't have to tell you about Manning Publications. You already know Manning Publications. You probably already have a dozen Manning Publications books, at least, on your bookshelf. I know I do. Some of my personal favorites, we've discussed many times on this show. The Art of Unit Testing. I love this book. We've talked about it so much. C Sharp in Depth. What What does John Skeet not know about C Sharp? Is there something? Uh Real World Machine Learning is another one that I don't know if I we've talked about it a lot, but that's a book that I, I really did like. Uh, just so many great books by Manning. Yeah, I want to mention,
1: too, we brought it up a few times, but um, our buddy Zach Brady, friend of the show, the reactionary, uh, he's got a course up there, React in Motion. And uh, I've been going through that lately. I'm actually in the process of going through it again. And what I really like about it, in addition to his uh, flair <laughs> and uh, interesting uh, video editing choices, which are really awesome. Uh, I like when he p- pops in, out of the left and right, so he kind of exits stage left. But uh, in addition to watching the video, and you can set the speed on it too, it actually has text. So I can read along while I'm watching. It just kind of helps it sink in. And uh, I'm actually eyeing the book Kafka Streams in Action. So if you go to the website, you can search and you're going to find books on all sorts of subjects.
2: Very cool. And Manning is running a special promotion through December. The countdown to 2019 will run on Manning.com all the way through the end of December. Answer just a single question every day, and you'll be in the running to win free eBooks, videos, and even a whole year's worth of new releases. Plus, every week, everyone will get to enjoy massive discounts on Manning products. All you need to do is sign up to Manning's Deal of the Day, at www.manning.com/mail-preferences and you're good to go. Again, head to manning.com/mail-preferences
0: to sign up. And also, while you're there, take a moment to shop around for your favorite books. You've already you already have your favorites. Now find your next favorite book from Manning and use the code CODBLOCK40 to save 40% on your next favorite book. That's 40% with the code
1: CODBLOCK40. All
2: right. And so jumping back in, the next data structure we have to talk about, and it's funny because I say data. He says data. What do you say, Joe? It depends. Data? I mean, it's from Star Trek. It's data. It's data. All right. And that might be why I say it like that. I don't know. All right. So the next one up is a queue. And by say a queue, I actually mean a queue and then all kinds of derivatives of it. So what is it and how does it work? Well, it's very similar to a stack, and ironically, we arranged all our show notes. So <laughs> you don't get that up front. So <laughs> the, the biggest difference is the order in which data is removed. And that's the key part here. So queues are FIFOs. That means they're first in and first out. So the oldest items get removed first. And I put an analogy here. Just think about your school lunch line when you used to get in line, right? If you're the first person in line, you are also the first person out of that line. So you get served first, you you leave the line. Um It's useful. It's primary use. And there's not a lot to say about it. I mean, literally, it's just you add stuff to it and things get, you know, you put things in and then they just come out. So they're useful when ordering is important via the FIFO um, breadth first searches. So that's interesting. Cause if you look at the trees, right, you have one at the top and then two, three, four on the next level, and f- you know, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. So it's actually going to go through each level doing the breadth first search um, resource sharing among multiple consumers. Uh, so if you think about subscribers to um, events or something, the first person or the first item that subscribes to that event is going to be the first one that gets notified and it does its work. And then the next and so on Um, asynchronous data syncing. This was interesting. So, they were basically talking about when you have like networks and the data that you send is not necessarily received at the same rate. And so you're still getting the first piece in and, and operating on that as other data is coming in. Right. So even as it's,
0: as it's building
2: up, you can't do it out of order.
0: So I was just trying to announce some ideas here. So I thought through like, um, you know, when they're useful, right. So some, some add ons to what you said, so uh event buses or event queues right like you you want to send out a bunch of messages a bunch of things just happened either you know because of user interaction or because of uh, you know other other things within the system right and you want to fire those events off but um you know as the as as listeners to that queue right you want to get them in the order that they happened right you don't want to like if you're taking input from the keyboard right and you were typing in your password as P-A-S-S-W-O-R-D you want to make sure that it came in as like if you're listening for that queue of events you want it in the order that it happened in order to be able to like you know validate it right and if that is your password then we need to talk (laughs) uh and then the resource sharing um idea which is kind of similar to where i was going with the event bus in the del in there or the event queue is um we've talked about delegates before so when you in like c sharp for example if you had a delegate to handle your functions like you're literally just adding on to like here you know you're appending to to a list of like here's the things and when the when the event fires when you when you call that delegate it's going down the order through that queue of uh delegates to to call each one so like yep now it's your turn to process this thing now it's your turn to process now it's your turn to process yep hey
1: i got another one too i actually i just found out about this uh from the syntax fm show have you guys ever heard of fifo bottles no 5-0 Five oh bottles. So these are the types of bottles that you'll see a lot of times at like restaurants, like Subway for example, Subway Subs, where there'll be a bottle where the, uh, like say mayonnaise or ranch dressing or ketchup where you squeeze the stuff out of the bottom, right? So you pick it up mm. you hover over your sandwich, squeeze, stuff comes out of the bottom and if you want to put new stuff on top, like ranch, whatever, you unscrew that, the top of the bottle and just put it right in the top. What's nice about these FIFO bottles is that the oldest mayonnaise gets used first. That so, you sense. never have to clean this bottle. You never have to throw it away. You just keep pushing the new mayonnaise on top and you always use the older stuff first because it's FIFO. It's a FIFO bottle. I like it. I like yeah, it. so you can get like a there's a we'll have a link here, an affiliate link if you want to <laughs> buy some FIFO bottle bottles. they actually look pretty nice. It's kind of gross thing about never washing them. You should probably wash them once in a while, but you know the restaurants don't. It sounds like totally <laughs> the idea there is that you can use these things, squirt, squirt, and it's always going to use the oldest stuff
0: first, so it's uh, less chance of spoiling. I always wondered why, like, um, like Subway was the example you gave. Like, they did—they ha- do have like weird looking bottles, and I always wondered about that. I never thought about it being the a FIFO squeeze bottle. Yes, That's because beautiful. they don't clean them. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'll never eat there again. Thanks. Uh hey, um, don't of think course they- Taco Bell is one of the valued partners that uses this thing, so great. Hey, just uh, we can't hey, have nice things. Just because you don't know how the
2: sausage is made doesn't mean it's better anywhere else, man. <laughs> That's true. Alright. So the next thing up that we have is one of the offshoots of a queue. It's called a priority queue. And it's just what it sounds like. Basically, it's similar to the standard queue, except each item actually has a priority associated with it. So the higher priority the item is, the faster it comes out or, or the more precedence it has to be pulled off the queue first. So the highest priority you want to go first. And then if all the priorities are the same, then it falls back to the standard queuing method, which is the FIFO. So, um, it's useful when you're, uh, Doing certain algorithms like uh, Dijkstra's algorithm, when you're trying to find the shortest path between things, it can be useful as a data structure for that kind of thing. Um, and if you think about that, if I remember correctly, you have all the links and you're trying to take the the men's or whatever. Um, so you just sign priorities to those uh, data compression. Apparently, it's used in the Huffman algorithms. Um, they say that it's also useful in AI and machine learning type stuff. I didn't dig into it too much. There's actually a huge list of things that priority queues are used for. And I have a link in the show notes for that. Um, so that, that one's an interesting one seems to be used quite a bit.
0: I don't Where know. We that- talked
1: about breadth first for searches. You need some sort of external data source, uh, or data structure. So you can kind of keep uh, track of basically the things that you need to talk to next. And they talked about using a priority queue. Because you know we tried to use the example of like going through your family to like ask for money, and so it's like I'm going to ask for you, and then you and you and you, and then I'll come back and ask your kids if you guys don't
0: hook me up. So I, I don't know that we covered this when when you were given the brief description of the the priority queue, but like if you had say ten items that were all like the lo- whatever the let's call it normal priority is, and then you add an eleventh one, and it's got a higher priority level then instead of pulling that first one off of the queue, even though it's first in the queue, you would skip that one and the, the first 10 to go to that 11th one because it has a higher priority.
2: Right, right. <clears throat> it's always going to be the first thing out, whichever ha- whichever one's trumping it.
0: And I got a Did really you know that, good real world use, use case of it. You do? What is it? Processes. Like, have you ever been in like a like on Linux, you can, you could change the process priority just by doing like a nice on it. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. You can, you can play nice and this can be lower priority or you can set it, change it to be a higher priority. uh, in windows, I believe you can do the same thing, but the only way that I can recall, and I don't have a windows prompt handy is through the task manager where you could change the priority level of the process. And at that point, your, you, you know, the, the processor itself is deciding, Uh, which, you know, when it's trying to decide it's scheduling for each thread, it could pick the higher priority ones to go first and they get more runtime.
2: Yeah, that's (laughs) never worked out well for me. Anytime I've ever tried to bump something to super high priority,
1: I just end up breaking my system. (laughs) You ever do uh, expedited shipping? So, like, the shipping rate is still the same. So, it's, you know, two-day shipping. It's still two-day shipping. But you do expedited shipping and it's like, okay, you're going out in the next batch.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep, that's a perfect, perfect example of it. So with that it, priority queue,
1: it? there, do you maintain the priority order when you put the item in? Is that when you say bump to the f- first, or yeah, I guess you have to. Otherwise, you have to loop through everyone to see every time.
2: Uh, I'm assuming that's underlying implementation because you're going to actually put the priority on it when the item comes in, and it probably automatically bumps it
1: somewhere. Yeah, so you just like basically <laughs> start at one end and go until you're.
0: Well, I would imagine like insert it. Call me crazy, but what if you just, I guess maybe you'd have to know like how many different levels of priority you're going to have, but couldn't you just have like underlying, you would have that many queues. So you'd have your high priority queue over here. It'd be like the airlines, right? Like here's where zone one queues up. Here's where zone two queues up. Right. And first class is in its own, its own queue. So you'd have separate queues for each of those priority levels. And that way, if something did come in to one of the higher priority levels, it's not rearranging anything. You're just like you're when when it's time to pull the next thing, you're going through all of the cues from highest priority to lowest, and you're saying like, okay, who has somebody something for me to process next? Okay, it was in the medium priority. Okay, I'm gonna process that thing, and then you go back through, and you're like, who has something for me to process next? Oh, it was in the you know highest priority. Okay, I'm gonna pull from you first. Maybe. Yeah, the thing is kind of yucky is like if there's ones
1: that don't have. So, it's like, hey, give me yours. Oh, you don't have one. You know, it's like Southwest. It's like, okay, we had all the A's. We had all the B's. All right, C's. Okay, we got one. Then you got to start all over every time.
0: Yeah, you end up in the, like, if you by default, then you would just have like a default priority level of like you're in the middle. You're, you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you can so, definitely do it that way. I was imagining you would actually like out, like the way I was imagining, I don't know if it's right or wrong, or whatever, but I was thinking you would start at the end and basically go until you see a priority that's more important than yours. And then you would insert there. But I guess the downside of that is that, or, or rather, um, one that is equal to or greater than you. And that way you still end up being kind of the last of your priority. So it would kind of stink if like you always got inserted the first of your priorities. So if like you and I have the same priority, who goes first if I just came in?
0: But that's then you have to so traverse your entire detail. list. Like worst case scenario, if everybody in the list is of the same priority and you have a billion items in that queue, you just traversed a billion items to determine, oh, I just yeah. got to
1: add you to the end. That's so, why I would think you would start at the end, the opposite end, and always move to the left. So check yeah, it but out. either way, it you'd, like
0: still, that's n- you, I'm sorry, you'd still be going – all the way through the billion records to just determine, like, oh, there was no one higher priority. You still get put at the end. So,
2: right? so check it out. It doesn't look like that's how it's done. Um, looking at the implementation details of how these things are typically got done, the priority queues are usually done in a binary heap. So, oh wow. Okay. So it's not even like the regular queue where you're where you're going through the items. It's more of a tree. So I didn't expect that. Yeah. So kind of inter- episode on heaps. <laughs> uh, we probably should. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of interesting when you dig into these things. And and there was even a question about why are binary heaps um, sort of the preferred method over another one. And, and I didn't I don't remember which one it was because I can't get back to it right now. But but, yeah, so the the underlying implementation isn't exactly probably what we would have thought just, you know, off the top of our heads.
1: No, that's interesting. And it shows that I am not up to date on my heaps. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Now, now my idea sounds crazy.
2: (laughs) So, but this is just another reason why data structures are so important, right? Just knowing the various things out there makes you think through a problem differently completely. So, um, so the next one up is called a DQ. It's a double ended queue. All right. So, it's funny because you'll find out in a minute that this is similar to another data structure, but it allows insert and delete at both ends of the queue. So we mentioned that a regular queue allows deletes at the front of the queue, right? The first in first out. This allows you to do it on both sides. Um, this basically makes this type of queue, a hybrid of a stack and a queue because, uh, outlaw get into that in a little bit. So I'm going to leave that one alone. Um, But they're useful basically when you're handling clockwise and and counterclockwise rotations in O sub one time. And if you go back to our big O notation stuff that we talked about, that means it's direct access. Right.
0: So can we just call it what it is there? Really? I mean, like, let me let me just say, like, you're at the DMV. okay? (laughs) you've been in this line now for three hours. And you weren't paying attention, you were just playing some some, you know, Candy Crush on your phone. But you've been in that line for so long, your battery's running out. You're like, man, I gotta conserve battery, I'm done. And you look up and you happen to actually see like wait a minute. They're they're pulling people from both ends of the line. I'm in the <laughs> middle. Like no. it's just chaos is what it is. <laughs> they should just call it the chaos type. That's just like that's crazy
2: that's so awesome so we're going to refer to this not as the dq as the dmvq <laughs> <laughs> and and the the time that you're going to use this is when you need something that's efficient at adding or removing items at both ends of the queue that's i mean uh that's it like this that's basically what this one is Next up we have the circular queue and this one you probably guess what this one is too it's also known as a ring buffer which i had not heard of um so basically all it means is the last item in the queue points to the first item so if you're you know going through the items in the queue and you get to the end and you keep going then you're going to start back over at the beginning right it's just it's just a circular door essentially The way that you can see if a queue is full, this is kind of interesting, is that the first item minus one equals the last item, then you're in a full queue. Basically, the entire thing has been filled up. So they're useful. This was really interesting to me. Never would have thought about it. They're useful for memory management. So it allows you to utilize memory locations that might have been skipped otherwise. So if you think about a queue, you have 10 spots in it and you filled up the first three items. Well, you have seven untouched, but your third item is basically, uh, I assume is going to point to your first, but you still have item, you still have room in there and you can keep adding things in there. So, uh, it, it's kind of way to keep memory useful that, that otherwise would have just been hanging out doing nothing. Um, they say you do these for like traffic systems. So it's kind of interesting if you, th- if you think about like traffic lights, you, you're just constantly cycling through, you know, red, amber, and green, and it's just basically on a cycle, right? It, at some interval, it's going to change from red to amber, and then after that interval, it's going to change to green. Then it starts back over, um, and then CPU scheduling, same type thing here. You know, it's basically just kicking around, going through its processes, swapping things in and out of the active uh, CPU, and then then it moves on to the next time it gets the end of the list. Starts back over.
1: Yeah. Where's the color of your energy? (laughs) That's all I could think there. Sorry.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm having fun, like, looking for, uh, like, real-world uses for some of these. So, like, one of them that came up related to the circular queue was, um, well, you mentioned, like, the roundabouts and traffic systems. But, like, calendars calendaring right like mm. you know monday monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday monday right pds oh, exactly man, I'm terrible there sorry yeah
1: there you go <laughs> i'm, I'm <laughs> sorry i i'm, I'm not gonna talk anymore
0: yeah i got all the old school songs do uh but uh oh. going back to the the dq real world cases for a moment uh Two awesome cases that I was like, oh yeah, I didn't even tell, I totally didn't even think about these. Uh, History would be one. So like the, you know, looking at like the stack overflow answer here, like browser web history, right? Because you would age, you would eventually it's going to age out, right? So you're going to have some old history that you're, you know, who cares anymore? You can delete that one, but you're going to keep popping new stuff in to the, into the history. Or another one would be like that they listed here was an undo operations, storing the undo operations. Cause eventually you'll, you'll age those out. So, so I guess another way to say this is like for the DQ st- version of the queue, if you, or the doubly ended, ended queue, uh, when you might need to age something out of the queue as well as continue adding to the queue, that's when a double into queue might be a of uh you know might be an advantage to Because you
2: 'cause you're working on both sides of the queue at the same time, yeah, very cool um oh the the last thing that I had on here for the pros or cons of the circular queue is there's not really any cons to this one as much as just knowing when to use it, like there were really no downsides to it. Like, a lot of the data structures we've talked about, there's there's sort of been this list of, hey, this is the good things. These are the bads. There really wasn't anything on this one. It's just it's a useful feature if you need it.
0: All right. So, with that, we've already kind of hinted enough about stacks. So, why don't we talk about them? So, what is it? Uh, so, it's kind of the opposite of the queue. Uh, we already understand that the queue is, is first in first out stack is last in, uh, first out data structure. So think about anything like the name pretty much is it, this, this type actually lives up to its name more than other types might, um, think about anything you've ever stacked a stack of plates a stack of books, a stack of pancakes. <coughs> you don't have random access to the things that are in that stack. You can access the topmost item of the stack. So, you know, that's the one thing like uh, I've been annoyed by this and I think I read it like in the imposter's handbook I think that there was a s- similar statement where he had the same same issue where like if you have your plates stacked up in your in your cabinet for example, that bottom plate is brand new, never used, right? (laughs) Like maybe when family comes over, you know, a couple times a year, then it gets used, but it pretty much still looks like exactly like when you bought it. But that top plate, man, it's, it's the, the coloring is all faded. You know, (laughs) maybe there's a, a a chip or a cracking. You're like, whatever it's still good enough. And you keep using it. Right. Like, but that, but that's the stack. So, there's two principal operations on the stack. There is a push and a pop. And I'll go over those in a minute, but there's often also a peak. But the push and pop are the principal parts of this. So the push operation is going to put a new element on the top of the stack, and the pop is going to remove the topmost element from the stack. And the peak... Will allow you to see the topmost, but not actually remove it. So, if you were to think about like the peak, for example, is like let's say that the three of us we we go to breakfast and we just say like, hey, bring us a whole pile of pancakes, a whole stack of pancakes, right? And like we grab the first fifteen, we each grab the first fifteen because you know we want some pancakes, <laughs> but but we can see left there on that stack, we can see the topmost s- pancake and decide like. Oh man, I really want that one. That one's got extra chocolate chips in it, right? But we didn't remove it yet, but you can see it. You can see that it's there, right? Like that's the, that's the peak operation. Um, yeah, have you ever seen like, um,
1: if you're doing like a calculator, I don't know if, if like a, that was a kind of like a common computer science-y kind of problem back in the day. Uh, and you're doing like postfix or prefix, whatever order on the, the stack, you would use it to do your addition. So it was like, uh, if you saw an operator, and, uh, well, you know, I don't really remember how it works, but basically the idea is that you would look <laughs> at the top of the stack and if it was, uh, like a number, then you would pop it off and the one before it and like do the operation. But if it was an operator, then you would go ahead and push your thing on. So it was really important to be able to peek at the top list and same with like parentheses or brackets, curly brackets. If you're doing any sort of parsing, it's common to say like, if, uh, you know, the top thing on the list is like a parenthesis, then add the item. Otherwise pop stuff off the list. So it's nice to be able to do that. Cause it'd be pretty annoying to have to like pop something off the list just to put it back on because oh I don't actually need it yet.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, as I'm talking about this thing, you know, I I'm saying stuff about like, Hey, you're going to put something on top and you're going to remove something from the top. But technically that's not really how they're implemented necessarily, but that's just how like we can easily visualize it. So if you look at diagrams of stack, you know, or, you know, go reading about them and everything like that's typically how you're going to see the visualizations you might see some of them times where they're like they go left to right and you know they're they're just pulling from like the right hand side of it um but uh yeah so um we've talked about things like arrays and linked lists so at its core you you know these stacks can be can be implemented using either right an array or the linked list and in this case, you're, you're just uh, removing an item from the end of that, right? But technically, you'd really only need like a singly linked list. You know, the, you wouldn't need the double linked list uh, that we talked about, right? You only need to know that the, the next item would then become the top of the stack at that point. It's always removed from one end, right? Yeah, because you're only going to remove from one. So... All right. So, what might be some pros to the stack? Um, it's a fast way to know where y- where you've been, right? And your your read writes to this are always going to be O of one since you're only touching the top of this stack. Um, cons, though, to stacks is that depending on the language and the implementation, um, stacks. Going back to our conversation about like different parts of memory um that we talked about the stacks may be used to store both the data as well as the return addresses um so this make can make them susceptible to a s- stack smashing attack try to say that 10 times fast uh when your input sizes aren't very are verified so this is a variation the ta- stack smashing is a variation of a buffer overflow so um i say that because whether you, you, you know, you might not even be aware of how things are being called or like, you know, um but you could inadvertently give access to uh because you aren't checking your inputs, then, you know, someone could pass in something that's that overfills it. And now they have the return address to go to some other spot uh within your routine or some other library. And now, you know, that's how a lot of you know, hacks end up happening, right? Is that you're trying to crash systems and overflow s- data points. Um, all right. So, uh, another con to this, similar to the queue, cause stacks and queues are very much go hand in hand, right? So there's no random access to a stack, D- just like there was no random access to the queue, you know, w- in the stack, the last thing you put in, uh, is the, is the first thing out. Uh, okay. So when might you want to use these? So if you are backtracking while traversing a graph or a tree, then that's why I said like a fast way to know where you've been. So you're trying to, uh, search this tree. You want to know like, Hey, what was the last element that I was at? Because I need to go backwards now because I've, you know, I've gotten to the end, right? So that's where this comes in. And I think you mentioned like breadth first. So this is like, uh, if you remember like depth first search, then, you know, this might where that come in handy, right? Um, if you wanted to reverse things like a string or any array like thing, then a stack would be great for that to be able to, um, reverse that. You know, you could just pop the item into the stack and then. You know, get it back out, and you've got it in in reversed order as you pop them out of the stack. Um, your call stack. I mean, we we talk about that. Like we talk about call, we talk about stacks all the time, and you might not even think about it, but your call stack is a stack, right? Um, a real stack. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and if you were writing your own kind of a compiler of some sort, right? Uh, stacks are often used for ensuring that the Opening and closing constructs, things like curly braces or parentheses or, uh, like closing tags, you know, that to ensure that they're balanced, you, you could oh. use a stack to ensure that they're often, it's often used. So there wasn't a whole lot to say about stacks since, you know, there was so much build up to it in regards to like arrays and queues and whatnot that by the time you get there, like, okay, yeah, this is just, a Q, but in the opposite direction. Good yeah, stuff. This really comes up a lot
1: in um like computer science kind of questions like you know we we gave a couple examples there of like um uh, places where it actually used but like this is one of those things i see come up in like uh this kind of algorithmic kind of um questions <laughs> a lot of times like the solution is something that uh uses a stack because it's something that kind of is used for either parsing or used to kind of track current state without having to do a lot of um Kind of going back and forth and memorizing stuff. So, kind of like a a cheap rule of thumb that I kind of think about and like look at kind of problems like Code Wars or something. Or is if it seems like I'm having to do a lot of work to track the state that I'm in. If I'm doing anything that re- remotely feels like or looks like parsing, then there's a good chance that th- a stack is going to come into play because I probably only need to care about certain conditions. And once those conditions are met, I can kind of ditch them out of my stack and move on until I'm done. And so it works really nice with recursion, uh, scales really well. It's an efficient way of solving problems. You don't have to keep looking at the same data. And it just seems to work really well in a lot of use cases.
0: Yeah. And then another reason why you would know this, I found it that humorous that, like, uh you know, we mentioned the imposter's handbook earlier. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these structures, like he was quick to remind you, like, why do you need these? Cause it's going to come up in an interview. You're yeah. going to see these come up in an interview.
2: Every one of them. Well, maybe not all of them. The, the, the Q subtypes, maybe not so much, but everything else. Wait
0: till the next interview and I'm going to be like, explain a float. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> Got it. I bet you didn't
2: know this.
0: (laughs) Oh man! Uh. All right, so uh, man, this episode is going to be so link heavy. Uh, There are going to be a ton of links in here. Um, So be sure to check the the resources section to find helpful links. And we've said this before. While you're listening to the episode, you can actually pull up the show notes and follow along. So if you didn't already know that, now you do. And you'll be able to see some of those links and uh, uh, you know go read about it as you're listening to it. Yep. So with that, let's head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah, and uh, once again, I
1: cheated and pulled from our uh, <laughs> slash tips page, which you can get to at codingbox.net slash tips. Or I don't know if we want to... Use this guy. What do you think?
0: Uh, Is it a secret? Uh, you can, sure. Uh, it was going All to be right. a new Twitter thing. So, yeah, I guess let's go ahead and say it, and then I'll, let okay. me give a little brief thing about it.
1: We got a new domain name. It's shorter, so it's nice for the sort of thing. So, if you go to CB, like it's in coding blocks, cb.show slash tips, then you can enter a tip there. Put your name in there, and um, I, can, <laughs> I can use it. <laughs> i'm gonna find out what that, yeah. that password is <laughs> you've got to uh you by by entering this information you're explicitly giving me permission to read your tip on air because i'm so bad at coming up with them and i need your help and they're so good and today's tip was provided by Gprogman, uh, who, uh is who uh, is famous for lots of reasons including the dot net uh, core um, podcast which is great and he pointed out that you should use npm CI and build servers instead of npm build because it's faster and more resilient. And, uh, you can kind of read up on, on what, why that is specifically. But, um, basically the, the rough gist of it is that it avoids much of duplicate work and it uses package.json to get the specific versions of things. And it's, uh, really good about, um, noticing duplications in, uh, in the uh, node modules and, and skipping those. so so why wouldn't you
2: use this everywhere instead of just a build server
1: uh, that's a good question I forget Uh, I call my (laughs) computer a build server so I guess I just use it where are you when I need you got program
2: I mean that. I. It, it sounds like it's so cool that why would you ever use npm build? But I, I'll tell you, I, I you why. Guess.
0: Here's a real world use case of why you would want to use npm build over npm ci. Let's okay. say let's say that you are a contractor and you charge by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> I like where you headed. <laughs> it's in your best interest to you know not be like so blatantly obvious that you're slowing things down, but you know like subtly.
1: You know.
2: Or maybe you're trying to heat up your room. Then you use
1: NPM build versus NPM CI, apparently. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's really fast. Uh reproducible builds. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, all right. So I, I shouldn't ask questions of the tips that you get for free. <laughs> man, I'm tired. <laughs> I, I looked at this thing hours ago. Oh, man. <laughs> we do some long shows, y'all. Man, you know what's funny is, like, do I ah,
2: do factory design pattern framework? Did I? Okay, so.
1: I mean. Oh, so you give me a hard time. No, no. So this is something that
2: I think I put in a long time ago, and I don't remember if I ever said it or not. So,
0: ah, man. I I put that there for you, Alan. I I thought I told you so. Yeah, I didn't. Mean, right. I thought you. Were, I thought you kept it there in the show notes because you already knew about it. So Man, I, I can't didn't mean remember. to put you on the I, spot. Why don't you like save that one for next time then?
2: No, nah, we'll, we'll do them both. I don't mind because I'll find something else interesting in between now and then. So this one's called Do Factory Design Pattern Framework. Joe Recurs and Joe had sent this to us a while back, and and I don't guess I'd ever mentioned it, but I meant to. Um, but if you search for it, it's basically. I want to say it was like software or a download that would actually give you code of the various different design patterns. And it was pretty nice. Um, I don't remember what the cost was or anything, but I'll have to find a link for it somewhere and and I'll include it in the show notes. So thank you to Joe Recursion Joe on that one. And then, so while I was looking for things like uh, the arrays versus list performance things, I came across this little golden nugget called Benchmark.net and it's made for testing out things similar to this where you want to find out the performance and and they say in here in in the description on the GitHub page benchmarking is really hard. You can easily make mistakes during performance measurements, blah, blah, blah. So this thing's built to protect you from several of the things that come up like setting up multiple projects, all that but it will actually take these these pieces of code and you can use it to benchmark things and you'll get nice little charts and graphs and all that stuff out of it so uh, i thought that was super cool um they have a site called benchmark benchmark.net.org that uh, has examples and all that kind of stuff on it so we'll have links to both that and the github page and uh pretty cool stuff and it goes right in line with what we've been talking about today
1: yeah, hey, uh, just real quick, I want to jump in on why you wouldn't just always do NPM CI. Did you get uh, a hold of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I woke them up, got them on the bat phone, <laughs> the Galprogman phone, uh, and, uh, figured it out. Uh, it, uh, skips by default, uh, or by using CI, it'll skip certain user oriented features. So it'll, uh, like not download documentation and stuff like that. And there's a couple of things that you can mark in your package that I won't do. And, uh, yeah. So that's nice. It also, will uh, disregard any node modules folder that you already have. This is kind of intended for CI environments. So it'll blow away your folder and do it every time, which stinks if you're doing something locally all the time. But on a build server where you're doing that anyway, it's just kind of like a nice default feature.
2: Okay, so it's not that it's necessarily always more performant. It's doing things for you that can keep you out of trouble in a build environment, too. Okay,
0: cool. So... Okay, I feel like I'm being trolled here. So, uh, one of you guys put like a random link in here. You're like, Oh, you're supposed to use this. And I did saw, I see, I saw this tweet come in last night and, uh, I liked it. So we're, we're, we're officially changing this section of the show to, uh, it's the get command of the week. And (laughs) you know, uh, whichever one of you two decided to put this in as my tip of the week without uh, without letting me know thought like, oh, I, I would probably like trip on myself. No, 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 no. no. I got you covered. So here's <laughs> one that we haven't talked about, which is the get subtree command. This one is quite awesome if you've never experienced it. So here's the here's this case for the subtree command. Let's say you are in a situation to where your code base is getting kind of big and you're like, you know what, man, this namespace here, I really don't even want this in this repository anymore. I want to create a new, uh, a new repository for that, but man, I, God, I'm going to lose all the history. Nah, nah, uh. with the git subtree command, you could export that directory out as its own repository and maintain its history, but it gets better. You could also do the inverse of that where you're like, you know, I have this, this other repository over here and I really just want to bring it into this other repository. I want to, I want to merge these, these two things in without losing my history, right? You can do that with also the same command. You can merge those two. Uh, you'll bring that other repository into your main repository and maintain all of your history. So, Whoever, whichever one of you two thought you would trip me up, joke's on you, buddy. Get Subtree. tree. And I want to thank <laughs> Jimmy uh, at Greenfield Col- Coder for calling me out on the get command of the week. <laughs> Jimmy, there's your get command of the week. All right. That's awesome. The real, the real. Uh, oh, you just
1: pulled that one. Just You just had it ready.
0: I, no, I literally just pulled that one uh, out of my head. Like when yeah. I saw you just had
1: that sitting there on tip of the tongue.
0: I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I saw this, like one of you just typed this in and I'm like, wait, what, what? And then, cause I saw that, cause that, that tweet came in like early, early this morning and I probably shouldn't have even been up to see it, but I was and I was like, oh sweet. Yeah. I like that. Um <laughs> But yeah, it was early, but it was like early enough that I forgot about it. So thank you for reminding me of it though. Um But the, the, the tip that I had planned on saying was uh we've talked about, so many of these, like, um, lists of like, uh, your ultimate, uh, oh man, I can't even think of the term that we had for it. Like, there were several where we had like a repo of like, here's every blog that you might ever want to read, or here's every command for, oh, not a checklist. Uh oh, what do we call those things? At any rate, <laughs> I, I can't remember. Neither of you guys remember what I'm talking about. All right. I gotta, Bites I gotta find list. words that better describe. Um, but yeah. So, uh, Conrad, Conrad sent us, uh, an email where he gave us basically the same kind of list, but of documentation, devdocs.io. So you can go in and you could find anything that you might want to find documentation on. You want to find some JavaScript documentation? Sure. It's right there. What about Angular? Right there in the same place. How about Apache? Boom. Right there. I, there's so many different choices in here i you want to how how many places do you know of where you can see your documentation for apache and javascript and the gcc, GCC compiler all on the same site
2: it's searchable too
0: right yeah how awesome is that i mean there is a long list of libraries and frameworks and languages and applications all with the documentation right there it's awesome
2: man I don't know that I can trust this list cold fusion's not in there there's a reason for that extjs isn't in there there's a
1: reason for that <laughs> you know, there's a cold fusion podcast live you know
2: really yeah uh, I'm sorry
1: <laughs> yeah what's it called uh, sorry Jack it's called does it CF alive that's ridiculous cold fusion alive i didn't I didn't
2: mean to take your your uh your spotlight there outlaw but it, it was funny that the things that <laughs> that we sometimes reflect on yeah. don't exist there,
1: and fusion is awesome. I don't mean to sound down on it <laughs> no, no it's really not see if we see if I'll put <laughs> that's
2: a really cool thing right there though the dev docs
0: yep. So that's my tip uh, of the week. So,
1: very nice. All right. Well, thank you very much. Remember, you can send in tips by going to cb show slash wait cb show show slash tips. Oh man! And thanks for sticking to uh, with us. We started talking about data structures. We're going to have some more data structures coming up here pretty soon. Uh, so stay tuned.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to add, like, you know, don't don't be alarmed if you see us like start tweeting that out that shorter one out because you know. Mainly got it so that we could, uh, you know, save some character space on on tweets and whatnot or, you know, places where it might matter. But, uh, yeah. So with that, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe to us. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this because a friend let you borrow it or they pointed you to it, um, you know, and if you haven't already, uh, like Alan mentioned earlier, you can uh, – we would really greatly appreciate it if you left us a review. It it uh, really does mean a lot to us. Puts a smile on our face. You can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review.
2: And and Michael's always saying, and I always forget, share it with a friend. If you've – you know, if if somebody's in need of some coding improvement, share it with them. Maybe they're not a friend. But share it with everybody. <laughs> So while you're up there at codingblocks.net, you can check out all the show notes, examples, discussions, and more.
1: And send your feedback questions and answers to the Slack channel at codingblocks.slack.com. And you can go to Twitter, uh, you can find at codingblocks, or you go to codingblocks.net you can find all of our social links at the top of the page. And if you're interested in um, our campaign, you can go over to jamstack2020.net. And, oh, oh, dang it. How do, com, we, how do we cancel this wait somebody cut this jamstack what <laughs> it's the future man we should, we're we're gonna do an episode on jamstack and i'm gonna tell you why it's the future of the internet is it the blockchain of javascript oh no you painted it <laughs>